Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, fuck your life. It's Wednesday, <laughs> December 7th, 2011, and we're in a motel in the middle of BC's hometown, right? This is the other side of the state that nobody goes to unless you, like, knocked up a Rhode Island chick and you're like, do you have to? You know, no one comes over That's here. That's fair. You know? uh, it's morning combat, everyone, and it's a special week. There's a lot going on this week, of course. There's a UFC pay-per-view going on a little bit later. There's some boxing fights. Yeah. Teofimo Lopez is back, but, but... It is also a big Bellator fight week. We've got a women's flyweight title fight. We've got the 135-pound Grand Prix going to take uh, another step forward. Yeah, yeah we're that's right. closer to a million here, brother. There's a lot going on. So we thought, okay, well, me and BC can just, you know, talk about it, but that's not enough. We need some special guests to do this correctly. So joining us now in this room, you know these gentlemen from the Weighing In podcast as well as the Showtime broadcast for Bellator themselves. One of them fought in Strikeforce and was a champion. It's Josh Thompson to my left, and it's Big John McCarthy to my right. Welcome, gentlemen. Well, thank you for having us, man. This is a long-awaited rematch, if I can jump in and interject. It's a rematch. Our, I like Of that. our saucy back and forth we had. But to the, the postscript of that. Was everybody caught COVID and you went to the hospital with kidney stones or whatever <laughs> yeah, the hell it was? So, yeah. so, hey, welcome back to Norwich, Connecticut. Here we are. Yes, yeah. yes. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. All I caught from the intro was that you called me special, and I like that. It yeah. makes me feel good about myself. There is a, there's many definitions to special, though. Oh, yes, there is, and he is the far end of it. <laughs> uh, Big John, congratulations on becoming a grandfather again. I again. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, my uh, daughter, we had, what, three, four days ago now, four days ago, Sunday. Jameson, JJ came in. Jameson okay, here's, John, here's so. the key question. And I, I didn't mean to cut off you no, describing your beautiful offspring here of your family. Congratulations. Thank you. What do they call you as grandpa? Ooh, good question. And did you get to pick it or did they? That's they got the to pick it. Okay. My, my, my oldest granddaughter is now 10, almost 11. Holy shit. And uh, she was the one she got to name. She called my wife was Nana. I was Pa. And okay, that's not bad, because well, there's no. some bad ones out there. There's, oh, there's some really bad ones. Paw is not bad. Paw is yeah. not bad. I'm okay with it. And they said, oh, that's fine. I'm just stick with that. <laughs> so. In the South, they always do ones like Meemaw. Oh, Meemaw. <laughs> I, I have a Meemaw in people, but that's French-Canadian. That's okay? not for, No, that's just white trash. That's really, <laughs> that's really just what wow. that is. You uh, know, I had never heard Meemaw until, what was the, the show that had uh, the one with all the Brainiacs on? Deliverance? <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of brainiacs. Well, what uh, was the, show that had the, the rocket science? Yeah, the, the CBS show. That yeah. she, uh, the one that's like the biggest show of all time. You know what I'm saying? I Anybody here? You guys the are Rock all, from the Sun? No, <laughs> you guys are all donks. Big Bang Theory. Big, Big Bang, Bang Theory. Theory. Big yes. Bang Theory. Yes. Sheldon, it was his Mima. That's the only time I'd ever heard that. I never heard it until I moved it. to the South and I dated a girl and I went to her house and then she introduced me to her Mima. I'm like, this is a title? Like, uh, <laughs> I'd never heard of this before. Speaking of Big Bang Theory, did you smash? We shut the fuck up. We've been doing this for five minutes. You're already asking these Sorry. questions. All right. We have a lot to get to. So if you're watching on YouTube, thumbs up. Hit subscribe. If you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, do be so kind as to leave us a nice review. We always appreciate that when you do. As a reminder, Showtime.com is the label that pays. If you don't have Showtime and you want to watch Bellator this weekend, this Friday, as a matter of fact, you can do so. Go to Showtime.com. You can get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you go to something else with your life. As a reminder, these nice little bomber jackets. You know, Josh. Morningcombat.store. We could get you outfitted in one of these. You know, I'm waiting on you, man. If you were willing to. Uh, I'm definitely willing. I'd wear them. Ralph Ian Stotts wears his everywhere he goes. Who does? Ralphie and Stotts. 
Yeah, he also leaves his taco meat out, too. I don't do that. Yes, he does do the taco meat <laughs> bit, which is a little bit unsettling. However, however, he does have the coats and everything else you can get at morningcombat.com. You strike me as someone that has kind of like the back hair and the taco meat in the front. Oh! No, yeah. I don't have the back hair. You don't hair. have it? You don't no. have the back hair? I mean, I have a little bit on like the lower back like most guys do, but yeah, I, know, yeah. I don't have like the team. You don't, you don't have the team wolf thing? No, yeah, sure. But you have, the, you have the manly chest. I got some hair there, like right in the center. It's called yeah. Team Animal. Don't it's worry about it. It's good. Uh, right. But he has what he describes as shitty chest tats that he won't show yeah. people. Uh, like got he's got tattoo tats. on Titi, but he's I'm actually getting it, this right? one covered up uh, next year with a big full sleeve I'm getting. So. Uh, nice, nice. nice. You know, you get tattoos when you're 19. Your yeah. decision making is not so great. No, it is uh, not so great. It's so funny because like, uh, my dad had told me, he said, hey, if you want a tattoo, I'll pay for it. But bring me the artwork, and if a year later you still want it, I'll pay for it. Ooh. A year oh, wow. later, I never wanted that tattoo. I was thankful I never got Do you the have f- any tattoos? None. None? PJ? No. Oh, a ton. You got the one under, yeah. this is your wedding ring, right? I have a ton. That's, yeah, that, that, that's, that's an old, god dang, this is like, I, I used to wear a wedding ring, and then I, I got my hand, I was chasing someone, and the ring got caught in a fence, about tore my finger off. Mm. So I said, I said, I'm not wearing it anymore. And so my, wife, my wife's big thing was, she said, I, you know, I want you to wear your wedding ring and no tattoos. So I went and tattooed a wedding ring on. Well, I tell everyone you don't put a bumper sticker on a Bentley, so that's why I don't have it. Oh, wow. See, I think that's why Robbie Lawler didn't finish his stamp tramp, to be fair. The stamp tramp? In the back, that unfinished tattoo he has above his ass. Yeah. He's out of this week's fight. He can't find me. Yeah, he's out of this week's fight. He can't find you because he's not fighting, so he's free. (laughs) Uh, We have a lot to get to here today. So as one last reminder, morningcombat at gmail.com. We will get to either fan subs today or Friday, depending how the timing works. And, of course, the dead wrongs on Friday. There's the email. Shout out to Jay Paquette. By the way. Uh, but we are here for a very special purpose, which, of course, is Bellator 289 will be... Where am I looking at? You? Bellator 289, which will be, of course, on Friday. I believe the main card kicks off on Showtime at 9 p.m. in the East. Undercard at 5 p.m. 530. Eastern. 5.30, I thought. No, 5 p.m. Eastern, according to the press release. Okay, right? 5 p.m. Eastern. That'll be on YouTube as well. Big, it'll be you and Morrow on the call? Yes. Okay, very good. Uh, the A-team there. Let's start with this main event here, uh, Big John. Ralphion Stotts taking on Danny Sabatello. Is this the, and I mean this quite genuinely, is this the most, well, let me ask you how you would describe it. How would you describe how these two have promoted this fight? It's I, unusual. I'm, I'm just being honest, and it, I, I've even blamed Bellator for not holding on in Showtime. These guys have done everything that you want guys to do in promoting a fight. Look, at a fighter's job is to, you know, train and to get ready for the fight and go out and do that fight, but they've also got to sell the fight because they've got to get the fans interested. Well, look, Danny Sabatello and Rafion Stotts have done that. And when Rafion Stotts walked in the cage after Danny Sabatello got his win against Ego, he, he did everything that you asked for. And Sabatello responded the right way. And it was like, this is what you're looking for. You don't let that momentum die. It died. And then those guys brought it back. They went on the MMA hour with Ariel Hawani. They brought it back. And every time they've gotten together, they've been magical. It's funny because we actually had them on our podcast, and they didn't want to be together. <laughs> it was like, I'm, I'm done being around that guy. I'll do it individually. But they've been fantastic. They've, the buildup for the fight, you know, you, this is one of those ones. That in the end, you look, I just hope the fight matches the buildup and the talk. Right. It might not, though. I mean, it's... Thanks, Debbie Downer. Thank no, you. well, I'm just saying. <laughs> that shit was terrible. You've been negative Nancy since the moment we walked no, in. No, no, oh, no. I am, I am. born. He came out that way. Yeah, yeah well, that's also true. Yes. However, the reason why I say that is because, listen, all roads, either, it seems to me this is a fair way to look at it, either Stotts is going to have a wrestling answer or he's not. And if he doesn't, 
I don't. His chances, yeah, I don't look at it that way. I, I don't look at, at it that way. Andy Sabatello is going to have a striking answer. That's no. what's going to win. Oh, no, there you fight. go. See, right, that, that comes from the boxing that. guy. Look at that. Uh, did I ever tell you about these? No. The fuck up. I'm not doing your game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing your game. I'm old enough. All right, tell me why. Tell me what you think this fight hinges on. Well, it, there does. There is obviously some wrestling aspect to it. He's going to have to get the takedowns, but I think it's really going to hinge on to me the cardio. The endurance of Rafael Stotts. He has been known to slow down. He is a high out, not a high output. He is an explosive fighter. And you've noticed in the past, most explosive fighters, they tend to slow down. In a championship fight, four and five rounds is a lot. He, keeping that explosiveness the whole time is where he's going to have some problems. In that fourth and fifth, if Danny could really put some pressure, really make him fight for the takedowns early in the fight and still have the conditioning, which he's been proven to have in the fourth and the fifth, Stott's going to have some problems. He was starting to slow down a little bit, too, in his fight with Magomed. Mm. He was conserved. This, I look at that fight, and Magomed's de definitely better than Danny on the feet. And the wrestling aspect, I think da Danny's probably got a different style of wrestling mm. than Magomed Magomedov. But when you look at those guys, that pressure and that pace that Danny brings, and he understands what his game plan, look at him like a John Fitch, that Boilermaker Purdue wrestling. Let me grind on you. Let me get on you. And that fourth and fifth round is when they shine the most. And so I think Danny, if Stoss doesn't get him out of there by rounds middle of the three and maybe into the four, if Danny keeps pushing those pace, the cardio is going to be the key. Let me push back a little bit. So in the Leandro Ego fight, Sabatello won that one, right? And he mm -hmm. looked pretty good doing it, except for one, one round. Wasn't a lot of ground to pound, a lot of control time. Yep. Yeah. So how would you grade the ground and pound, not just in that performance, but I guess overall of Danny Sabatello? It was okay, but I also look at there's a difference. Rafael Stotts is good off of his back, but he's not great. Submission right. threats are not what there's, but I've trained and grappled with Higo. He's fantastic on the leg locks. He's fantastic on the armbar triangle game. He's very aggressive on the Kimuras. He's fantastic off of his back. So there's a lot more danger involved, I think, off the back. Rafael Stott's going to use his body to get up. He's going to use his wrestling, his jiu-jitsu, put the feet on the hips, kick you back, look to get up, make you wrestle some more. There's a difference there. And so the ground up pound, he couldn't open up as much because he goes dangerous the whole time. Arming guillotine. Sean Bunch found that out. Sean Bunch, one of my good buddies. Yep. Was getting great he, freestyle he, wrestling. Ego was getting his butt kicked, jumped on the arm and guillotine, fight was over that quick. That's the kind of mistake you can't afford. With Rafael Stotts, that threat's not there, so I'm hoping to see Danny Sabatello open up a lot more with his ground and pound. Okay, let me, let me jump in and say some people have sort of generically compared this matchup because of the styles to the two-fight series with Colby Covington and Kamaru Usman. And the key about that first fight was those were two wrestlers who just made a handshake deal mm -hmm. silently and just said, hey, we're not going to shoot, we're just going to stand and bang, like, like Stephen Thompson and Kevin Holland. What will be that negotiation inside the cage, do you think, in this matchup when you do have two successful grapplers coming at each other? Sometimes they just go, we're not going to waste our energy there. You think Absolutely this will not. be more Storley versus Amosov where they're both going to test each other deep yeah, in those categories? I think you're going to end up seeing two ferrets get after it. You're going to see two little ferrets rolling around, scrambles, exchanges, all of those things. But at the end of the day, one wants to continue to be on the ground. And the other one wants to be on the feet. Rafael Sanz wants to keep this on the feet because he knows his advantage on the striking is significantly more than Danny Sabatello's. Mm -hmm. Danny Sabatello understands he needs to get this fight to the ground. No matter what, he's going to have to use some big striking. This guy will shoot from 10 feet away because right. his double leg, his single leg, his ankle Just picks, say that, yes. all of those things, he covers distance probably better than almost anyone I've ever seen in wrestling outside of Jordan Burroughs. That, that type of wrestling is what he's got, that mentality of grind, get on you, shoot from far away, set it up with like a fake jab, a fake one punch. That's it. 
Stotts is fast and explosive, but in those early rounds is when Stotts has the chance to catch him coming in. But outside of that, Stotts will tend, to, I think, will slow down as the fight goes on. Big John, what do you think this fight hinges on, aside from what we else we've talked about? What are some other X factors to think about? The X factor that you're looking at is how much damage does each fighter do in the given situation that they're put in? Because if you look at Danny Sabatello, his damage is through cardio. It is making work. I don't have to be successful with my takedowns to make him work hard and make him work at a level that becomes uncomfortable and finally pushes him over that edge where he cannot maintain what he's doing. So Sabatello's big thing is I've got to be into him. I've got to pressure, 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 and make him work at an uncomfortable rate. For Rafion Stotts, he needs to do damage. He needs to make him pay for every time that he does come in for that shot. Make him pay. Do not let him exit without having something that came with it that makes him a little bit less than he was as he came in that first Let line. me follow up with you if I can, because obviously you're, uh, you're a famed referee, but you are as well a trained judge, uh, and you've done some judging as well. You do the official, or I say the unofficial scorecards for the Bellator broadcast. I don't know how in play it is, but for a guy like Sabatello against Ego, who did not have a ton of ground and pound, you begin to wonder which way does the round go if it's just control time? Is there enough control time? Blah, blah, blah. Do you like the way the new rules are set up where essentially on the ground, if it doesn't lead to some kind of submission attempt or heavy ground and pound, they don't really count ground control all that much? I, I, I was part of that. I was one of the ones. I cannot stand someone that goes in there and tries to control another person for an amount of time and gets a win off of it. That is not what this sport is about. This sport is about finishing people. And if you go in there, you should know – I have to work towards finishing my opponent. I cannot work towards just controlling him because if I work towards just controlling and just holding on, being a wrestler, and <laughs> it was Sorry. beautiful, and my opponent just starts landing shots, the judges are going to end up giving it to my opponent because the, the top criteria is striking and grappling. Which one takes place more? That's what will get the most credit. And if it's even in those, now it goes down to not control, but now it goes down to aggression. And if it's even with aggression, now it goes down to control. So control, every time I, hear, I listen to a broadcast and I hear something, oh, he's got great ring control, it doesn't do anything. It's not anything the judges are looking at, and it shouldn't be. Because control, if we, if we made control, which it used to be, something that was important, you start to get boring Well, fights. I want to jump in and counter you on that because I feel like for the first time when a fan sent me sort of the letter of the law of, of scoring the criteria that you're breaking down that, you know, reading it at length, I was like, oh, wow, I was off. I was spending too much time focusing on damage when the word in the language is constantly impact. So I think when people think impact, they also think damage, blood and guts and, and what you can see the damage visually. But the letter of the law also states essentially that if your impact of whatever style you're implementing is taking somebody else off of their game plan coming in or frustrating them, that obviously that'll never trump damage. But in close fights where it's it not overly difference. exciting, isn't what you're saying you shouldn't score against? Sometimes that becomes the factor that wins the round, though, right? No, because the impact really, and I'm telling I'm being honest here. I put impact in, and I'm the dummy that did it, because I had regulate, regulatory people that didn't like the word damage. Oh, so, so you're saying it's actually is damage. Yeah. Okay. Now it's gotten to the point where these people are, all, you know, they were trying to say that oh, you know, we're, the the sport is so young, we can't use the word damage. It looks like we're trying to hurt people. That's what we're doing. That's what the fighting. fuck we're doing? Thank you very much, Luke. Okay, <laughs> that doesn't take a lot of common sense. 
that when every time you see impact in there, that is damage. That's just sanitized. That's what we're looking it's for. It's just sanitized language for what it actually is. It's exactly what it is. All right. Yeah, but the thing is, though, is that we get lost, and everyone talks about damage, but we're getting lost also, too, is that the person on the bottom could be chasing submission after submission. There's not a lot of damage, but the threat of submission is really keeping you from imposing, imposing your will and what it is you were trying to do on top. And I'll give you an example. My fight with Pat Healy, he, he got a takedown in the first round, but I chased so many submissions that I won that round. Mm. You've got to have that type of aggression off your back. doesn't mean that you're getting beat up all the time. Damage, impact, impacting the fight is more of what you're trying to do is change the dynamic of how that fight is going. Just because I'm on my back doesn't mean I'm helpless. And that's the problem is just be, we were getting skewed in that, oh, the guy on top is always winning. Yeah. It had, you had to change that, that because yeah. fighters now are so well-rounded, they should be able to attack or just get back to their feet. There's so many different ways. Now getting taken down against the fence it's, it's pointless. I mean, like, you guys just use the wall walk. Now getting taken down in the middle of the mat is where you want to be. Right. So all those things, be now the fighters are going to have to go back to the Hoist Gracie era of chasing submissions off their back. They're going to have to learn how to do those. Sweep, submit, get up. Submit, sweep, get up. Use those type, that, that, that type of mentality to make themselves better, to impact the, the judges on the fight. Those judges now, along with people at home, need to understand when they're watching that the guy who's chased six or seven submissions, maybe they weren't all close, but two or three were close enough, and the guy that was on top didn't get any damage off, that guy on the bottom won the round. Not just because he was on top. We're still stuck with the fans not understanding that. All right. Let's, fans are the worst. Yeah, they are terrible. <laughs> uh, let, let's talk about this here very quickly. So Stotts was initially, when this all started, something within his Bellator campaign, he was a, a Duke Rufus guy. Yeah. And then everything got a little bit sideways by virtue of the fact that uh, the Sergio Pettis got the belt and then got injured, blah, blah, blah. But I guess what I'm asking you now is Stotts had to relocate. He's in new places. Well, it's not be, he didn't relocate because of that. He relocated because his family. He's from Houston. Right. So he relocated back down there to be closer to family, and he had, he had another baby, and so he wanted to get out. Are you sure? Because I talked to some folks at Rufus's gym. That was not their assessment of things. No, his assess- he, he told me – he just told us himself okay, on okay. our show just the other day. Nevertheless, yeah. it is a change. Yes. How has it impacted him from what, from what you can tell anyway? Is he better, worse, kind of same? Is there, is there any noticeable difference? We haven't seen enough of him, to be honest. I mean, yeah, if, if you're going to be honest about this and the way you're looking at it, is he better or is he worse? We saw him in that first, you know, round of the Grand Prix where he took on Juan Archuleta. Look, Juan Archuleta was looking good in that fight. Mm-hmm. Juan Archuleta was doing well. He was doing things that we didn't expect him to be able to do against Rafion in the fashion that Flicking he was doing. damage, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you look and you go, hmm, is it because of the opponent or is it because of now he's training in a different place? We're going to find out with yeah. this, this fight right here. I really believe that in that Rafion, in that fight with Archuleta, believed going in, he can't out-wrestle me. I don't have to work on it. And I do know where he was training at. He wasn't working on it. He was working on other things. Now, those things got him the win in the end. A but, vicious win, yeah. Yeah, but you know he was pushing that wrestling to the side and let me work on the stand-up. Now he's going against somebody that he knows is going to wrestle. And he's got to have his wrestling up to par. He's, that's what he's been doing in his training, and we're going to see exactly where he's at in this fight. All right, we're, we're going through so many intangibles, which you do in a really close fight, to see what's ultimately going to separate them here. So we talked about gas tanks for Stotts. We talked about is going to have to do damage if he does get top position. What about playing back into the theme of this fight and the trash talk? You know, if you from the position of having been in great rivalries, the Gil Melendez one, and being a punk... 
You've never been afraid to, to trade words. Some guys get get off on it. Sorry for the bad term there, but some guys use it as fuel. Some guys, it messes with them. How do you feel like you've gauged how they've walked this out? So I, I've never been someone that talked a lot of trash to my opponent. I always respected everyone. The hardest fight that I ever had, to be honest, when it came to the actual inside the cage was against uh, KJ Noons because he was talking to me. He wasn't really? even being mean about it. He was like, oh, no, you almost got me. Oh, no, yeah, nope, not going to get that one. And he was being friendly about it, but it, it, I blew my gas tank in that fight. If you go back and watch that fight, I, it was getting to me, the nerves. I don't know what it was, but it was a fight. I look back, I just couldn't perform. I was struggled so much in that fight. Dominant performance, but it was still... After the first round, I was gassed. It has a, an effect on you. Now, it really, we had Danny and, and uh, Stotts on this last week, and they both talked about, look, the talking's over. But when you get in there, Danny talked a lot about that pressure. He's not just fighting Stotts. He's fighting everybody. Because of all the things that he has said, he's putting that pressure on him. Mm. I don't think it bothers Stotts at all because this is the way Stotts did it was not like personal, like, F you. Stotts did it in a, in a way that was... I'm just going to give you an ass whooping because that's what I'm here to do. Whereas Danny has to live up to that. He put a middle finger in his face. You suck. You suck. This guy's fucking trash. You're a D2 wrestler. You're not even on our level. I'm a Purdue wrestler. Like mm-hmm. He's putting pre- that pressure on him. I want to see how that pans out inside the cage. Because if he can't get a takedown or two in the first round and starts, starts talking to him, it's a snowball effect. That has the potential of really skewing how this fight goes. It's tough when you tell you tell everybody your opponent sucks and then they beat you. Right, right. Well, not you only that, but multiple audiences in multiple cities that he's terrible. <laughs> well, not only that, but he compared Big Twelve wrestling. There's no way this Division Two guy is going to ever take me down. No way. And then you can't get a takedown on the guy. Right now, what? And also, you know, to compare it to something, it's obviously it's very very different. But to go on a media tour together in the way that they have. City after city, event after event, podcast after podcast. They came in the studio with us for a little bit as yeah, well. Yeah, wild. We're talking it, about dicks. And it's like, you know, we saw what happened with Connor and Jose Aldo where, you know, t- t- Connor won that one fair and square, but you're never going to convince me that was the best Jose Aldo had. No. You're never going to convince me. So it's like, what does that do to all the pressure even before the fight starts? Are they in the right space See, there? I, and I look at that. You can take Connor and Aldo, and then you can take Connor and Habib. And here's your difference. Connor got into Aldo's head so much, got under his skin in a fashion that Aldo wanted to kill him. I always say the best part about fighting is you can sit there and say everything you want. In the end, I get to try to punch you right in the middle of the face, and you get to do the same to me. That's a beautiful thing because all the talking doesn't mean anything. It's actions in that cage that are going to count. But with Aldo, he wanted to hurt McGregor so bad that he took a big shot coming in, leaned forward far, got out of position, and got tagged happens look at the difference with habib when he fought him stuck to what he does and then when he got to the good positions that he gets to went into his normal thing of let's talk now mm-hmm. and started going after him and just mm-hmm. turning it around on him and it ended up but here's the thing that we are talking about habib who has like all-time great me- makeup and 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 metal in terms of his uh focus and and poise and all that yeah what do we know yet about Sabatello? Because he, when you carry a character, he's a, when you, you know, Colby Covington went through this. You, like you're saying, you got to answer every time you're purposely with the pro wrestling angle trying to get people booing you. 
do we do we feel like he's got that next level, well, which was one of the key ingredients of what made Habib great to just shut everybody out, focus on the task at hand, and rise to the occasion. But see, I think you're comparing Colby and and Danny. I don't think they're the same, even though maybe the shtick can maybe be the same. Mm -hmm. But this is who Danny is. It's not a shtick to him. Like his normal lifestyle is like, ah, fuck you. You know, like that's <laughs> I love his Twitter bio. It's yeah. fuck you. There you go. And that's it's it. yeah. and that's that's really that's who he is. Like. He, he, he only does, really talks that way about the guys he's fighting. He's not getting personal with their families. He's not getting personal with religion. He doesn't do any of that. He's mm. very vocal about, like, hey, I come after you as a fighter. I think you suck as a wrestler. I think you're striking is garbage. I think your cardio, I'm going to break you. Those are all, those are all things. That's how, that's how he shaped this fight. That's how he shapes his trash talking. I respect that because that's how he feels about that person when he's getting ready to fight him. Colby takes it to another level in a different direction and puts a lot of pressure on himself because he, everyone knows to stick. You know, with Habib, it's completely different. He was born and raised to keep your composure. That's the way it needs to be, and that's how it runs throughout everybody. Islam, him, Abu Bakr, all have of them. Have those guys lose their temper? Uh, yes, yeah. yes, <laughs> I, yes, I have. But, That'd be scary. It, but in all fairness, I, did, I saw Habib lose his temper one time in, in, in the gym, mm -hmm. was sparring with a, a real good kickboxer, and the kid was going hard. He was a 185-pound guy. He actually fights at 185. I don't want to mention any names. Okay. I've mentioned it before, and I, I got a little backlash. But it was... They got into it, and Habib was like, look, I got a fight in two weeks, and you're fucking trying. I was working with you, and now you're trying to take my head off. Got into a mix-up. Habib just was able to get a takedown. We had to separate him. But this is, this is sparring. This is training. Right, right, right. You know, we have a red room where everyone goes light. We have a, we have a call. It's like the, the dark, the cage room where everyone goes uh, hard. This was the red room, and it was supposed to be light, and he had a fight coming up. You could tell he was tired, but he got a little heated. He was upset. Outside of that, though, no. He's very composed. Right. Look, he... You ask, ask Bilal Muhammad. If he wants to smash you, he'll smash you. He doesn't care. You know, he doesn't care. It doesn't matter. What, it doesn't matter what weight you are. He'll smash you. All right. In the interest of time, let's move along to some other fights because this card is big and stacked. So in your co-main event, Liz Carmouche has taken on Juliana Velasquez for the second time. For the audience's sake, Carmouche, who is the champion, a plus 145 underdog to Velasquez's minus 170. Big John, I'll start with you on this one. I didn't love the stoppage in the first fight. Neither did I. Didn't love it. Walk me through what was wrong with it from your perspective. <sighs> let, me, let, me, let me just say this in the beginning. Easy. Uh, <laughs> Here it is right there. First off, Liz Carmouche did nothing wrong in this fight. She did exactly what she was supposed to do. She gets to a point in the fight, and she is, in my opinion at this point, losing the fight, but gets to a point where she gets this crucifix position, and she lands some good shots, but they're just shots. And you take a look. Look at where the positioning right now of Velasquez is. Does she look like she's in trouble? Now take a look at where her hips are. And as soon as you see her hips up in the air, and the problem was, in the end, the referee said, oh, she, she went unconscious. No. You see where her hips are at? That right there is telling you she's yeah. not unconscious. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. And what happens with sometimes a referee, they start to look at the, what I call the micro instead of the macro. They start to focus in on eyes, and they'll see someone get... And so you got to look at the entire body. The body will tell you what's going on. Mm. And so with her hips in the air, and you take a look, her right, take a look at her right arm starts to slip through here to get herself out. Right. And just as she's starting to try to get herself out, we have a stoppage. This was a mistake. It can happen, but it's not Liz's fault. Right. But it's also not fair that Juliana didn't get a chance to get herself out of a position that was not a good position. But every other fighter would have been able, in normal circumstances, been able to have that opportunity to get themselves out and continue on. She not only lost the title, she lost an undefeated record in a fight that you look at and you go, 
probably wasn't stopped. There was only a couple of seconds left in that round. I think it was like 12 seconds, seconds, 13 yeah. seconds. Although, left in the as Big John will tell you, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not supposed to matter. It does, it does, it's not supposed to matter, well, but it does in a title fight. Speaking right. of whether it matters or not, when you're a referee in that position, when I watched that, my biggest complaint of that stoppage was no disrespect to Liz, but it didn't look like there was a ton on those shots. That, that's part of the, that's part of the, 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 the gauge. I mean, does, just to piggyback, it also does feel like if you get like a crucifix position, the refs get a little itchy. They do. Yeah. And, and you know, it used to be Roy Nelson was the best because he would sit there and, and the, the best is he would start to count. Like, but you know, with punches are different than elbows. She was doing elbows. But I don't care how many times you hit somebody. It's how much damage you do to them. You could hit them a hundred times, and I'm going to look at you. Say, you better count to one on one, or you could hit them two times. And I'm going to be saying, "Stop, get up." That's fair. It's about damage. It's not about how many times you touch them. All right. So, Josh, before that, though, before the stoppage and everything else, what what do you make of where these? What, what did you learn from the first fight? Is what I guess what I would ask. I learned that Juliana needs to work on her her grappling from the bottom. She also needs to start utilizing her judo a little bit more. She's got great judo. She's a black belt in judo. She's on the national team for, for uh, Brazil in judo. She just needs to focus on that a little bit more this fight. If she doesn't remedy that situation, you're going to see the same result. I think that Liz is, understands exactly what she needs to do to get this done. You're going to see more of the Liz approach of not standing as much, punch to the clinch, grind on her against the fence, and if she does get thrown into a judo position and thrown to her back, she's comfortable off of her back. She's comfortable in the grappling exchanges. She feels like she's the more dominant fighter in the grappling. She's fine with that. So what does she have to lose? Being on the outside, sticking and moving, got her sat to her ass the last fight. So she needs to remember that, and I think she's going to remember that, is this is going to be a grind. Liz is going to be pushing on her, pushing under the fence, trying to engage that grappling, dropping down on the double legs, trying to get back to that same position they got the stoppage. Hmm. What, what, where does offensive intention play in here? Because when Karmush stopped Kana Watanabe to get to this point, to get to the title level, it was like, wow. I, I know that's maybe matchup dependent because she, she found that as an opening that she can exploit, but the aggression was like, I don't know if I've seen that uh, from Liz Carmouche. Not in a while. I was hoping yeah. it would transition into the title opportunity, but obviously matchups can dictate. Did, Do you think there, that was an aberration, or, or could, no, could no, Carmouche it, be that? I'm being honest. You know, We sat in the fighter interview with, uh, with Liz before the Kana Watanabe fight, and we said, where is it? Where's the aggression? Yeah. Why is it that we're not seeing you go after people? Yeah. You have the ability. What is it holding you back? And she told us. She goes, I, I, I see it, and it's going to yeah. change. And then she had that great Yeah, because the fight before that was, I believe, Deanna Bennett. Yeah. And she just had a really lackluster yeah, totally. fight. Yeah. And it was, and it was like, the fight before that from UFC against Shevchenko was yeah. like one of the worst yeah, fights ever. Look and, 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 like, and it's not like Shevchenko was piecing her up. Nope. It was Liz was not doing anything offensively to her. You look and you go, you can't win right. if you're not offensive. And so, we, you know, we looked at it. We got that fight from Watanabe. I think she tried to go back into that same mode against Velasquez, and like Josh said, she got sat to her ass. She, she was getting be pieced up in the stand-up, but I think that she saw in this fight, look, I'm better on the ground than her. Mm -hmm. I don't care about the judo. I don't care about her Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm better in that area, and physically I'm stronger. I'm going to take her down. I'm going to put her back in that same position. The question is, can she do it? Yeah, I was going to say the strength also. Like, you don't want to overplay strength as a valuable tool. Boy, she's strong. But her strength is it's a different fight level. changing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different level. You saw that when she fought Ronda Rousey. When she got to the back, was given the squeeze. She wasn't able to get the finish. But just well played by Ronda in that situation. But you can see Liz is a strong, strong female. And also, I, I believe Liz Carmouche has changed camps as well. Yeah, she's well, now on the. She's now with Norfolk, Virginia. I forget the guy. The guy's name. I know him as Coach Chuck on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> but she has she has switched things up 
of late as well, which to me, it's like, I don't know. When you're a veteran, mm. sometimes changing late good is a good thing. Yeah, exactly. I feel pretty good about it, right? It depends on how comfortable. Has she been working there before? Has she had any type of camps there before? Has she, she go out for, for, for a couple of weeks or months? And then, then decided once she took the fight, you know what, I'm just going to stay here. It, it's that barrier of, because I, I bounced from gym to gym during my off season. When I, not off season, but during between fights. I'd go train at Couture's. I'd go train at, uh, what is it, Huntington Beach Alliance. I went to train at Alliance. Train with Huntington. Frankie Edgar. Go to different locations and train. But the, none of them felt like home, so I didn't stay during mm. camps. But there was t- I was thinking about going staying at Extreme Couture's because they had at the time they had Tyson Griffin, they had Gray Maynard, Jay Heron. I mean, they had Sean uh, Tompkins, all of them there, like everyone there. So I was thinking about, you know what, let's just stay. But then as I got there, I was there for two weeks, didn't feel like home. So if she's been there and it already feels like home and then she signed the fight, she's like, I'm just going to stay here, then I, I, I expect good things out of it. But if she didn't, she's like, you know, I trained there for a week. I'm not, I don't really know everyone just yet, but I'm going to do it anyways. That, that concerns me. Fair enough. All right. This fight is the one that I got to tell you, we talked about the main event forever, and then there's a title fight in the co-main, but Patchy Mix taking on Magomed Magomedov, that might be the most fun fight on the card, to be quite honest with you. Uh, Patchy Mix. style-wise, yeah. Plus 105 for Patchy Mix, Magomedov a minus 125. Josh, when you think about what this fight hinges on, it is what? Magomed Magomedov either utilizing his wrestling or trying to capitalize off of his spinning attacks. That's really what it's going to come down to because does he want to put himself in harm's way with every takedown? You're messing with fire. I mean, I've talked to so many people at Extreme Tours, and I've talked to a lot of people around the Vegas scene. Patchy Mix is the real deal on the mm-hmm. ground. He's better than almost everybody. I would say pretty much everybody. He's, he gets your back. It's he, a wrap. It's not even round. just that. He's yeah. hitting Kimuras and Waplatas, getting to the top, making you work from the bottom, and you just turn and give your back, and he's on. And they don't call him the human backpack for a reason. He is somebody that will finish you. He will get there. He will slow you down. And, I mean, John and I talk about this all the time. He learned so much from that Juan Archuleta fight that he under – it was probably the best thing that ever happened to him was understanding that – if I get someone's back the first two rounds and I don't finish them, I need to conserve some energy and figure out how to get there again without just taking shots. And that was a huge problem for him in that fight. And he learned so much from that fight. All I've seen is just nothing but improvement. Look how he, look how he dispatched of Horiguchi. I couldn't believe it. I, I was I was. I, I, you, you're not the only one. I'm sitting up at the desk going, what the hell is going on right now? I didn't get it. It also was, it was his failures in that fight that you had to be impressed with because he didn't get the finish. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. He learned how to conserve his energy and just go right back to it and put him in a bad position. Horiguchi then fought his way out of it, but Patchy Mix is winning that entire fight, and it was the maturity of, I'm not going to gas myself just going after this this one time. If I don't get it the right way, I'm just going to sit there and work towards getting a well, better hold John on. John said it, the failures is the key. is because in the first fight with Juan, his failures after the first two rounds turned into, come on, hit me, that type of... That doesn't work when you're dealing with the top guys in the world. You know, Juan Archuleta's a beast at 135. You can't do that to someone. He's going to piece you up, and he did that. In that fight against Horiguchi, when it didn't work, he stayed composed. Yep. He kept sticking with his game plan. You saw that laser focus in him that you want to see out of the best band, one of the best bantamweights in the world, if not the best. I really kind of believe... He's the guy to beat right now in this tournament. Right. I like Stotts. Wow. I love Stotts. Mm. I love Danny. I think Magomed Magomedov. But I think right now, that confidence of beating Horiguchi 
And the way that he's able to calm himself down now and his striking's gotten a lot better and closing that distance and getting the takedowns, I think he's kind of the guy to beat right now. Does have feel like he's got a little BDE coming off of him right now. Also, he's the biggest of them physically. I saw him. Oh, we went to the High Rollers thing. You ever been to High Rollers in Vegas? No. It's the uh, well, they do. They smoke a bunch of weed and they do jujitsu competitions. You pay the money and they just walk around handing you these giant ones. It's pretty great. When we saw him there, he was with uh, Jake. You have to get high to roll. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Jake Shields was his cornerman. I think. Of course he was. And uh, Jake Jake brought him over and introduced us to him. I was like, dude, you're a fucking bantamweight. Like he's enormous for a bantamweight. Enormous. Let's talk lessons learned on the flip side because. Coming into the tournament, I felt like Magomed uh, could Magomed Magomedov could be the like dark horse. He could be the sleeper if he l- learned and evolved from the loss to Stotts. So, Big John, what have you seen from him emotionally and inside the the cage to show you that that's true? That he is still a a pretty much a sleeper entering this final four. You know, I've, I've been watching Magomed. I did his. I did the first fight I ever did of his was in Russia, probably five years ago. It was against Peter Yan, mm. and it was a rematch fight. And that was the first Those time wars, I really right? saw. Oh, incredible fights but it was the first time i saw this guy that man he he's not just a wrestler this guy's got great attacks and his stand-up is good and he's got beautiful kicks and he needs to go into this like the same way he did the barzola fight in that in bars you got in barzola you know you got a guy that barzola is like that guy in the bar that you hit in the face and he just looks at you goes (laughs) and then you and you oh god you're in trouble well he needs to look at that fashion of the way he took his time and just went after him in a systematic fashion of beating him on the feet. And then when Barzola made the mistake, then he attacked him. He cannot get into the position of use, utilizing his wrestling to control the fight against Patchy. It's not going to work. He's yeah. going to be get. You make one mistake, Patchy's going to end up on your back. So he needs to change his basic style because his basic style, he likes to stand up, but he likes to take the fight to the ground and then try to finish his opponents there. I think he needs to be an anti wrestler. He needs to keep the fight on the feet as much as he can because his his stand-up, although he's shorter, a little bit less in range, all that stuff, he's not as big as Patchy, his stand-up technically is better than Patchy's, and, and that's yeah. where he yeah, has Yeah, he's got advantage. sneaky good stand-up. Okay, but let me, let me follow up on something. You mentioned about the spinning attacks. I don't in any way disagree, but one thing I guess I would say I have a concern for him. Oh, yeah. I have the same concern. Back exposure. Absolutely. Yeah. Back exposure. Absolutely. You do back exposure against Patchy Mix, dude, you just giving him the fucking <laughs> yeah. round. So how do you manage? How do you how do you how do you thread that needle? You know he throws everything he does is off of off of his movement. He doesn't just sit in front of you and then throw it and spin it. So he's gonna try to I think move his lateral movement. And as Patch goes to step in, he's gonna throw the spinning attacks. He's got to be very careful. It doesn't matter how he does it. He's gonna have to be careful because if he comes up short, you're giving him his back. He wants to keep it at the end of everything. So he's continuously out of range if he does if so he can't come up short. It's when you come up short that you 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 land with like your tricep or you land with the back of your calf and or your back of your knee, which gives you the back because I've stopped the momentum with my whole body now. Mm-hmm. So he's gotta keep it long. But if Patchy does his if he just presses and pushes him beyond that black line inside the cage, mm-hmm. where his back foot's against the cage, he's got a good chance of getting him there anyways. The, the other thing, too, is if you look at the James Gallagher fight, right, with, um, with Patchy, that, just because he's good on the back, but you look at the guillotines, you look at the arming guillotines, he's been training with Jake Shields. Look at what Jake Shields did his whole career. Pull the head down, arming guillotine, pull you down on top of me, foot sweep you or hook sweep you, get to the top position, mount you, smash you. Even if it was not like smash, from him, but it was still a, it was still that top pressure making you Ask feel. Ask Dan Henderson about it. Oh, you exa- can't get rid exa- of exactly, and so you take. I think 
he's going to learn take a lot from what Jake Shields has done throughout his career. I think Jake Shields is really molding him into be exactly what he was, just with a little bit better striking. Big John, the fight's five rounds. Who does it favor more that it is five as opposed to three? Magomed. Tell me why. Definitely because he's a guy that is comfortable. It's just, and I hate to say it, it's the way they, they these guys live their lives and train and what they do, and Josh brings it up all the time, is they don't train the way that we do, and they definitely don't untrain the way we do. A lot of times, you know, you get guys that, you know, they'll get into a, uh, they have their fight, they win, they go home, they party a little bit, they start to, you know, do other things, and eventually they start working their way back to the gym a little bit. No. Magomed's one of those guys. He doesn't do that. He doesn't drink. He doesn't party. He goes back to the gym the next Monday and is back training and trains the way that he trains and he's comfortable in a five round fight. I've seen him there. I've seen him with a guy that's pressing him the whole time. I thought I thought Patchy did a great job against Horaguchi, but in this matchup, the five rounds, in my opinion, favors Magomed. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so also on this card. I do like him because he's built like fucking Hercules, but I don't know how competitive this fight is. Dalton Rost is fighting Anthony Adams. That's a great fight. Denise Kuhlholtz taking Ilara Joan. Yo, don't sleep on on uh, Dynamite. She's she's still got another run. Oh Dynamite. no, oh, yeah. Holtz, for sure she does. Yeah, her like a lot of female fighters, her record's a little bit uneven and doesn't quite speak to her ability. Oh, absolutely not. Um, but this she's favored to win, by the way, not, not by a whole lot, minus one fifty five. I have right. to tell you the one I've got my eye on a little bit. Kyle Crutchmer taking on Jaleel Willis. Kyle great Crutchmer. Fight. Was a two-time Big 12 champion, two-time All-American out of Oklahoma State. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, and Jaleel Willis was a guy who did really well on the regional scene, did well in his first couple fights in Bellator, but has fallen on hard times recently. This is a tough fight for a guy like Jaleel Willis. Will you, do you agree? Uh, I totally agree. You know, it comes down to you get – it's that blueprint, Luke. You know. All of a sudden, one guy puts you into – you know, you're in a fight with him, and he shows how to beat you. And every other fighter looks and goes, that's the way to beat this guy. Well, let's be honest. You look at Kyle Crutchmer and you look at Jalil. Both of them are good wrestlers. Kyle Crutchmer is the better wrestler. No doubt about it. Stand-up. Jalil Willis is the better stand-up guy. What has everyone been doing against Jalil Willis lately? They go, his wrestling is good. Still, I'm going to put him on his back because on his back, he's not dangerous. Mm. And once he's on his back, now it's a struggle. He's got to try to get up. He's going to give positions. I get the position. I can get the submission, and that's what's been happening. And so he's got to figure out how to get himself back to his feet if someone takes him up without putting himself in that same danger position. Fair enough. BC, how excited are you for Pat Downey? That's what I wanted to transition to because, guys, <laughs> let's, let's be fair. A lot of MMA promotions out there, competitive space. What I love about Bellator is they find that guy. They found, um, oh, who's our guy? The, the guy that's... Sports. Big Tuna. Big fucking Big oh, Tuna. Big tuna. I love ben Parrish. Ben Parrish. You know, ben Parrish. There was, yeah. there was Feraldo recently yeah. with the knockout streak. There was uh, a v, Aziz what, Gozali with the submission yeah, yeah, streak. Yeah. He was on. There's always like somebody I have to see. Obviously, Pat Downey is this transition project who's become that. Josh, he can wrestle. We know that. We know he's a little spicy, too. Mm -hmm. A little bit cray-cray. Uh, is yeah, he absolutely... No, no. Little, a, a Potential-wise, though. Potential to be a title contender a down the road. A great is he on the right path, or do we just not know? <laughs> look, look at the hesitation. Well, That's so great. So I know his managers very well. And, Who's his manager? Uh, Dave Martin. Dave Martin, yeah. Dave Martin handles him, and he's fantastic. He's got. He's somebody that needs to be stayed focused. You need to have someone with him at all times. You need to make sure that he's constantly on the grind. You cannot give him too much time off. He can be easily distracted. Um, 
But the upside is, <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> the upside is, it, the upside's the ceiling. Like you, you, you don't even know where it is. I mean, he's so good. People, I, I honestly like. This is where I get into. You tell me because I'm from the outside looking in. Because I, I, I work for Bellator. Right. We do the podcast, and all we do is get heat for this. What is the difference between Pat Downey and Bo Nickel? Uh, Bo Nickel has better credentials. Okay. Um, How much better? Uh, pretty significant, right? Because. No, they are. They are significantly better. But I'm saying in terms of marketability, like, sure, you have the better credentials. Oh, oh. But, uh, like, Pat what- Downey, if he can dial it back just a little bit, is, m- well, okay, the credentials are an easy thing to market, right? Yes. You, you had three national titles Absolutely. at Penn State. But the, but the personality factor from Downey is you wonder how big that could be. Could could be. Could be mm-hmm. pretty big. Oh, it could yeah. be real big. Like, Bo Neckel probably never upper decked a, a toilet, right? You know what I mean? To, you know, like, he never, like, <laughs> like that. Yeah, and Pat Downey probably did one this week. Right, so that wild card factor. But, like, you know, whether it comes through dominant wrestling or balls to the wall striking, are, are the goods there? Because, or, we, or does it still need time there for needs, him to you know, There's going to always be need time. No one's going to jump in in one or two fights and be like, all of a sudden you're going to have – no. I mean, look at Connor, Patty Pimlet, all these guys that came up from other organizations, like even Bo Nickel, he had to go through the – Contender he A couple more, and it's – they're gonna, they need the time. The, yeah. the game's evolved so much. This is not back in 1997 when I started, buddy. Okay, this is like <laughs> you, you just show up at gyms and you're fighting guys who don't even know what the records are. There was no internet back then, so you're kind of just hoping you're finding someone that didn't have the skill level you did. Right now, everyone knows everything about each other. You know, We know what their wrestling credentials are. We know where they've been training. We know people have talked about how good they are in terms of grappling. Is their jiu-jitsu good? What is it? Is their striking any good? Now there's more footage and video footage out there for people to see. I think the the ceiling is definitely really high with him. Now, like you said, is if he can keep it reined in and stay focused, I think in Bellator's part, you really need to keep him busy. If he's healthy, fight him. Right. Yeah. Because if you let him get astray, especially after a couple big wins, right, right. or a couple, you know, you get five, six wins, you're six and zero. Oh, now you potentially could lose your talent if you start giving him too much time off. I'll see about this, Big John. You know, back in the day. Like, do you remember? I, I remember I went to like amateur fights, like way back in like 05, 06. And I had a b- couple buddies who fought, and I'd be like, dude, did you guys do blood tests for these fights? They'd be like, nah. <laughs> I'd be like, so this guy you're fighting could have like full blown HIV, and you don't even care. He's like, nah, it's probably, probably fine. It was probably on a casino, right? Uh, it, was in a, a it, was, it was in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and it was a pool hall. They oh, cleared goodness. out the pool tables and put a. This is back when they, the ring was still more common. Yeah, yeah. And he fought in front of. Uh, and by the way, it was uh, the guy who fought was uh, Anthony Cheesesteak Morris, who ended up in WEC and everything else. So actually, it was a couple legit guys on the card. So that's a good name, Cheesesteak. Cheesesteak, yeah, he's from yeah. Philly, so it's all right. Speaking of the ring, by the way, while we ha- still have time for you, Bellator versus Ryzen MMA. This, of course, will air on. Now it's going to take place in a different time because it's Japan. Yeah. But I want to be clear for the audience's sake: it's going to air on Showtime New Year's Eve at 8 p.m. So you don't have to watch Ryan Seacrest do his dumb shit. You can watch Ryzen or Belter versus Ryzen. Uh, what a card. What a card. However, be, uh, uh, Big John, it is a phenomenal card. Yeah. Anybody who knows anything can look at this and be like, aha, this is I'm excellent. Debbie Downer. No, no, no. I'm saying. Let's go. Here is one of the challenges. For all of the excellence on the Ryzen side, and it is, I mean, Roberto Satoshi's on it. Yep. Uh, just tons of good names. The American MMA fan is not super familiar with them. Absolutely right. So you're that does so right. create a bit of a challenge in getting the word out. You're absolutely Sean, right. They wait, don't real know. quick. Go ahead. You guys need to promote this. We don't need to promote anything. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw it in there. Oh, man. 
my my man doesn't know the difference between we're promoting cover, but it's all right. It's okay. It's okay. But you look, you look at D'Souza, Robert Roberto D'Souza was Satoshi, yeah. unbelievable as far as his ground game and the guy and his submission ability. He really loves. You, you talk about. You talk, he brought up Jordan Burroughs. This guy will shoot a double leg like Jordan Burroughs, going to his knees, and I go, "Don't do that." But he gets it. Yeah, and so he's fantastic. I think that's the toughest fight that there is in the matchups when you're Ooh. looking at it against AJ McKee. It's fantastic. Yes, you got clever uh, Quakey Erbst who is going against Patricio uh, Pitbull. That's a fantastic matchup. Uh, Archuleta going against Kim. Kim has proven himself to be. He's getting better as a fighter. These guys, you're absolutely right. The guys on the rising side, no one knows, but the the. The two that I really look at, if you're going to say, go to the three. The Kim, the Erbst, and Satoshi. These guys are top level. No, they're hammers. What's the motivation here, Josh? Because this has like an all-star game feel. And, it's, and I do think long-term, it's like one of those beautiful things that you want to see more of. It could, it could lead to, to you know, brighter mm-hmm. pastures for people working together and all that. But if you're a fighter entering this platform, like, you know, you're not fighting on the normal lineage in your path for a title. It's like this one-off. Are they going to buy into that and just want to... It, I guess my, my secret fans, question you're talking is, about fighters. No, the fighters. My secret oh, question is, will we see fireworks? Because it's kind of like a one-off All-Star game. Let's go and have and fun. And also, it will be in the ring, not the cage. Yeah. Let's just let what, it what I, what I want people, what, what I want What I want people to, fans, media, and fighters to understand is this. You guys need to do your job. Not you guys. I'm saying you guys need to do your job in promoting yourself. Fighters need to do that. Media is going to do this in terms of coverage. Yeah. Coverage. Okay, see what I did there? Okay, but what I'm saying is in an opportunity like this, you need to let it all hang out. You cannot afford to let this moment pass. This really comes down to every fighter needs every organization to succeed because there's so many top-level fighters in the world. Managers have been coming to me going like, look, if PFL folds, we're screwed. Right. Like if Bellator folds, we're screwed. We've got 200 fighters on our roster in terms of management. Like what are we going to do? Like there's nowhere else for these – Every fan should be wanting every promotion to succeed because this gives these, these avenues for these fighters to go. So fighters, if you guys, this is a big opportunity in terms of co-promotion because who knows, this may lead to PFL then fighting you know, against Bellator. Maybe you have Ryzen and, and then who knows? You never know. There could be some sort of relationship with one. They're going to all need this to join together or they're going to need some sort of, and I've said this for the longest time. I even said it on, the, on Joe Rogan's show. I want to see an Olympics. Maybe every two years, maybe every four years of the best fighters, maybe not champions, so not any organization really gets killed, but you have fights that you really want to see. How great would it be to see Stephen Thompson versus MVP? Oh, it would be tremendous. Thank you. Now, it doesn't have to be your champions, but I think that those type of events, you get the hardcore fans, they start buzzing about this every Olympics, every four years, like the World Cup. Shit. All of a sudden, we have the fights that everyone's wanted to yeah, see. And it's, and it's also, you, when you look at it, the fighters would want to do it. The, for one thing, yeah. you're taking a look at this Bellator Ryzen. Every fighter from Bellator has to go to Japan, has to fight in a place you know that is uncomfortable, a ring that is different than a cage, mm-hmm. under a different rule set, and they all want to do it so bad because I get to fight in Japan. I go back to the old pride days. I used to, That's how I came up watching these fights. My whole dream has been to fight there. And they're getting that opportunity. And you want to make these special times, these special moments for the fighters to get excited about. Because like anything, you know, your job, there's things that you do all the time. They're boring, but there's things that get you excited and Mm -hmm. and you want to have those moments. And I want to be clear, too. 
fighters in different organizations have, or I should say, different organizations have sent their fighters to compete in another organization. It's not the and same. Bellator and Ryzen. This is different. Yeah. This is Bellator. The entire card is Bellator versus Ryzen, and the Bellator guys are going to Japan in the K, or excuse me, in the ring. And I believe they can soccer kick diff- in Japan, correct? Any any head strike in any position is legal. So yes, you can soccer kick, you can stop, you can knee to the head on the ground, grounded fighter, you can elbow because in Pride and there wasn't, but now right. with uh, rising rules, you can elbow, you can do a twelve to six elbow, which is the stupidest rule ever. Yeah. But so they're smart enough to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yes, the rule set is different, and it's going to be an advantage. No doubt that there's an advantage for the Ryzen fighters because they fought that way. Anytime you go and take a look at Krokop, when Krokop came from Pride into the UFC, he had problems in the UFC in the beginning, and part of it was the rule set. It's different. You can't do the same things. You have to get used to it. So there is an advantage there, but that's part of what it is. You know, I think the next time you know Ryzen guys come to Bellator or whatever, it's, that's what I want to see though, because of the history of the relationship between whether it was Strikeforce and Dream. They had a relationship there as well. And then you have now Bellator with Ryzen. It's, I don't want to say it's been one-sided, but we've sent our fighters over there. We've had Aoki over here, and that was pretty much about it. Horiguchi fought Caldwell after Caldwell had already went there. Mm-hmm. So I want to see it become a little bit more skewed. Uh, not skewed, but I want to see it a little bit more split down the middle. Now, I understand that their New Year's Eve show it's is big. enormous. Yeah, I big. fought there. I was the co-main event there against Kawajiri. It's fantastic. It's a week long of just nothing but press, and it's, it's amazing. I understand why fighters want to do it, because if you talk to past fighters, Rich Franklin talks about it all the time, my one regret is I never got to fight in Japan. His biggest regret is like, I, I should have left the UFC just for a split second to go fight over there. That's his biggest regret. I've talked to him when I worked at one and, and, and with him. He's just like, man, and I've had several fighters, Patricio, I've, he's always wanted to fight there. He's always. It's just that nostalgia of... Patricio. No, Patricio fought there. No, I, Am no, I imagining? I, I, I'm just thinking, I thought Rich Franklin fought Lyoto Machida in I Japan. thought he did in Inaki Bumbaye, right? Yeah, yes. thank you. Maybe he was inside top. Maybe he wanted to fight in Saitama. So okay. Maybe in Saitama Arena then he wanted to fight. lost to Lyoto Machida I could have sworn in Franklin Japan. Did he? Out. Yeah. I think so. Okay, so then maybe then maybe I misunderstood in terms of he wanted to fight in Saitama because I, I got to fight. Because I got to fight in Saitama Super Arena. He fought him in Macau. He fought him in Macau. Not the same. Big John, speaking of Japan, I always wanted to ask you because we always, you know, tell stories about, man, did you hear like Andre the Giant was so big in Japan, he had a shit in the bathtub. And then the other day in the studio, like Luke might not want this public, but like you blew up that commode. Yeah, I destroyed it. Oh, like no one will ever use that restroom again. <laughs> wow. John, when you go to uh, Japan and you're a very large man, like you must have shut shit down there. You got a great story about closing down a fast food restaurant <laughs> room or what? No, I, I, you know, <laughs> Can you believe I've tied my editorial <laughs> fortunes to this man? Yes. Dude, it's, uh, Japan is awesome to go to. I do have stories. Ken Shamrock was the first one to tell me. He says, hey, he goes, you know, when you go to Japan, he goes, you know, they're going to want you to hit them. He goes, don't do it light. <laughs> and I was like, what? What are you hit talking them. about? Yeah, I swear to God. So, you know, it, fans would come up and they go, oh, you know, I can't say it, but, I, you know, I would say, oh, and they would pat to their arm and they wanted you to hit them. And he said, hey, if you do it light, they're going to say you're weak. You know, blast them. <laughs> so I was like, you're nuts, right? Sure enough, I'm standing there outside of a pancreas show. And, he's like, oh, and I'm like, I got, I got to hit him hard. And sure enough, you, <laughs> boom, you, I mean, you blast. Oh, and then, you know, they're, they're run, holding their arm and stuff. Next guy comes up. Oh, and you no. go, all right, this is different than any place in the world. Oh, it's hysterical. You know, but it, it's the truth. They get into fighting in a different fashion. And 
they want the experience yeah. of everybody. They want to know how strong you are. Well, you know what? What you know? Grab a hold of this. It's part of you know just the culture there, and that's why it's awesome. They, they, when I was over there for Pride, they treated it like because I fought in Pride Bushido. They they treated it like. They didn't want their fighters to be accessible. I wanted to get a sweat outfit that said Pride on it, and I had to go out into the area where you buy clothing. But they had seven, eight guards surround me, like as if I was LeBron James and Michael Jordan. Like, And then every time someone got close, no, no, don't touch him, don't touch him. It was like this big ordeal. People were taking their, their cameras and trying to take photos over the top. They wanted to make it feel that way. And that's what I think what really makes the it's fighters want to go back over, like want to be there, want to fight there. The fans there are just different. They're just different. And they're respectful. Absolutely. And they're quiet and Absolutely. they cheer and they golf clap. Yeah, and, they golf clap. Uh, they're pretty. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to the World Cup, but like the oh, Japanese. Gosh, loves uh, that. Well, no, I was just going to say, but it's, been, it's making the news that like the Japanese fans will clean up the stands when they leave. Wow. And even the Japanese team cleans up their locker room before they leave without even being told yeah. to. They're just a sort of a very <laughs> professional So a people. quick story on that is when I went over there, the first time I'd ever seen a homeless person in Japan. So what they do is they roll their tent out at night. They sleep in their tent, and then they roll it up afterwards, and they sweep their area where they sleep. That's wow. crazy. Yep. Uh, well, we're running out of time, so uh, real quickly, very quickly, Bellator 290, of course, the return to CBS. I say the return to CBS, which it is. It's the MMA return, but I keep having to catch myself saying it's not the Strike Force return. Or it, the Elite XC. Or the Elite XC. <laughs> it's just, it's just Bellator. But we're just have a few minutes here. Very quickly, Big John, Bader versus Emelianenko. I'm surprised Fedor is still fighting. He wants this one. Size it up for me. Man, it's hard to. You know, I, I look at it, and it's, I feel the same way as you. First off, I love Fedor Emelianenko. I, th- I thought he's done such an amazing job as being a fighter, an ambassador for the sport. It's the... The integrity that he has and the way he conducts himself, you just look and you know, he's special. There was, you know, the moments that, you know, there was the possibility of him coming to the UFC, that didn't work out. And so that's one of the things that you look and you go, you wish kind of he did so he was able to show exactly, you know, what he was. The first time I ever worked out with him was what told me, uh oh, he was so fast. Now, this is a long time ago, you know, but he was so fast compared to everybody that I worked at that was a heavyweight. It was like, oh, my God, he gets there before you realize, you know, exactly what's going on. And so he still has certain attributes that amaze me at his age. His hand speed is still he's fast. It's insane how fast his hand will not. He has not lost any power in that. Now, he fights different than he used to fight against Bader the first time. Look at Bader landed a beautiful left. Yeah, here we have it right here. Not, right not here. much of a fight, really. Boom, yep, nope. Bader was you also know. on fire. I think we also have to He was. We also have to look streak, at it. He yeah. was on a, on a run of proving himself you know, at that level. And huh? so you, you look and you go, you know, I looked at, you know, and Josh and I have talked about it with Bader. Dude, you need to stay at heavyweight. heavyweight. He went back to light heavyweight. I didn't think it was the right thing right, for him to do. Staying. And now he's going to stay at heavyweight. But you got to give it up that, you know, Fedor, in his last fight, they're giving him a title fight, which is kind of crazy when you're down. Let's be honest. You know, you you got a guy that could actually take your title and then walk away with it, yeah. and you've got to now go through a whole though. whole tournament. But if he does, that would be oh my god! He does. But it, John, is an, it is an amazing moment. To be honest, I honestly didn't think he was going to win his fight in Moscow when he fought uh, Tim, Tim Johnson. 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 Way, the way he was able to take the shots from the big guy as well as deliver his speed in his hands, it, it impressed me. It I really definitely did. counted him out. It was almost like counting the clock back. I, I didn't think that fight was going to get out of 30, 40 seconds. It's just amazing to me. I believe he fought Crow Cop. At Saitama Super Arena. Yes. In 2004? Yes. In 2000, 2003 or four, yeah. I remember that fight being like, that's the best heavyweight, or the biggest heavyweight MMA fight I'd yes. ever seen. That was 05. Yes. 
right? When Fedor versus Krokov, that was like... It was critical countdown. Um, I'm not sure, but in any case, we're talking CTE 15... doesn't allow me to go back that far. We're talking like 15 <laughs> plus years ago, and here he is. Oh, yeah, more than, on, def- on definitely CBS. more than 15 years. Yeah. Closer to 20. Right, uh, amazing. Crazy. All right, well, look. Uh, RDA just, just passed Frankie Edgar for most octagon time in the UFC, but you've got more than that, right? No, oh, I got a lot more than I that. Mean, you but, may have the most. No one, no one gives a shit about You may have the, the most engaged time of it. Like, like, literally, there's not a better person to have on a podcast and just talk shit and tell stories because he's seen freaking everything. <laughs> yeah, seen quite a bit. And they have to go see more. We are out of time. I mean, does, does Keith Peterson really smell like bitches and hoes like, uh, <laughs> like Dominic Cruz said? I want to know this hoes. shit, you know? That's, I was, that's, uh, for the, that's for the Patreon podcast. Yeah, oh, I'm going to start a new po- Patreon podcast with James Krause. It's called Ooh, Parlays and Punani. Okay. Oh, very good. that's a I good name. That. I like good Parlays one. and Punani. Okay, very that's good. good uh, if you guys want more of the Weighing In podcast, of course, you can get it on YouTube or any other preferred place that you ask them to. YouTube, YouTube Spotify, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, all those things. And, of course, you're going to be on the desk yep. for Bellator 289, and you're going to be on the call. Yes, sir. Very good. I'm an AG1, not Athletic Greens. Ooh, I'm talking about CBS Sports. Right. Amanda Gira. Yeah, she's, in the house. She's, she's the shit, man. Yeah, you guys constantly awesome. bicker on air, though. It's kind of funny. She doesn't take his it's, shit at all. It's that, that brother-sister kind of relationship. She's She's a... Oh, she, she's a real treat to she's deal with. Handful. <laughs> she's so fun, though. She's, awesome. she's pretty she's great. Fun. Well, we appreciate you guys stopping through. Thanks for having we'll us, let you man. run. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you so much, Big John. Pleasure, sir. Can't wait to see the fights on Was this time better? Was this a better round? You were civil this time. I, I, was. I didn't even get to talk shit with you. You know what Go I mean? Go ahead. Talk shit to like, him. Like, I was going to tell him that, you know, don't forget, it was an MMA journalist that ended the other punk's MMA career, you know? Ooh. I'm an MMA journalist. <laughs> oh, wow. I like that. Dude, we'll fight about it after. Michael Jackson there. It was going to be a verbal battle. All right. Can we get some promotion for that fight? I'm sorry, coverage. Sorry, coverage. Yes, coverage, exactly. All right. Uh, uh, Gaff, how do you want to do this? Um, They can just walk out. Yeah, you can just walk out. All right. right. Hey, get the fuck out of here, man. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate appreciate you. Thank you. I'll just give you the fist pound. Thank you. Thank you, Big John. John. Really appreciate you. It's like hanging out with old friends. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Should I switch to that one? Now that we're being like, uh, you know, I mean, we are, we are at this point. Look, we're like common law, you and I, right? We might as well just bang to it. Yeah. yeah. On the Patreon, Luke and Brian have sex. Uh, all right, let me switch. <laughs> oh, dude, you just sprayed Jake, you fucking animal. Oh my god. I got, I, oh boy, I, I got a pop with that one, huh? I got a pop with that one. Holy shit balls! You all right there, fella? <laughs> Here, let me switch with you. Let me switch with you. I want to switch seats. Oy, that was fun. All right, here we are. Uh, was this towel used before, guys? No. You know, Luke, I once threw up on a plane in Denver, yeah. and the lady next to me <clears throat> pulled some toilet paper out of her purse. And she was like, son, take this, but don't worry. It wasn't used. <laughs> That's a terrible story. It was weird. Yeah, it was really weird. Uh, BC, you need to get your thing out because we have to tell everyone about our partner, Athletic Greens. I don't Greens. take my thing out for just anybody. Well, okay? in this case, you have to do it for Athletic Greens. So Athletic Greens, BC, of course, something we use every single day. I take Athletic Greens because I want better gut health energy, and I don't like taking eight gazillion pills and vitamins, Brian Campbell. You okay there, bud? Yeah, sorry about that. That was weird, right? Hey, listen, when the comedy hits, your body <clears throat> well, just reacts. Here's the thing, Luke. I want to be healthy. It's hard, though. You know, it's the way I was raised. It's hard. But with, you know, one scoop of that magic green powder 
and eight ounces of water in the morning, stir it up. Like this? And I feel like I'm cheating the system a little bit because it doesn't taste too medicinal, like your marijuana vape pen. But what it does is it's got, you know, Luke, a small micro habit that leads to big loyal gains. And how rare is that in this day and age? It certainly is. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day just effing right. And it's also lifestyle-friendly, Luke, for, like, thick boys that ride bicycles and also... I see what you're doing. People that eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, whatever you're into on the side, that it's free. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. But yet it still tastes good, Luke, and it's less than three bucks a day. I know what you spend on that habit. Yeah, this is the last. Well, I've, By the I've, way. I've been, I've been, no, 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 I've been doing good. Uh, today. No, 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 no. You just violated the fire code because Kyle at the front desk, who's a dude, Kyle at the front desk of this hotel that we're at. MK fan. He was like, this yo, true story Mr. Campbell, guy. come this way. I was like, bro. He's like, I'm, I'm a day one donk, brother. Luke, he did. He did tell Jake Von Amsterdam, please tell Luke no vaping in this yeah. hotel. Yeah, I'm ignoring <laughs> it him. It wasn't a bit, though. It really it was like... Yeah, I'm ignoring him. Uh, by the way, Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais at BC. Right now, time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. <coughs> it's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to yeah, look out for your Yeah, let's get to the part that it's verbatim, Luke. Right now, if you go to athleticgreens.com slash morningcombat, you can take that first step into your health. And we're going to give you, from AG1, five free travel packs. Luke and I use them on the road all the time. And that one-year supply of um, vitamin D, immune-supporting vitamin D, it's drops. I put it in my AG1, and I, it's like getting a double at the bar. Uh, Luke, right now, athleticgreens.com slash morningcombat. Take ownership over your health. That's right, athleticgreens.com slash morningcombat. Take ownership. There you go. Uh, are we doing the DK read or – Yeah. All right, BC, things are going to get intense in the octagon this weekend. All of the UFC fans out there, UFC 282, which we're about to talk about, is coming up this Saturday. Jan Blachowicz, Megabed Ankalaev going head-to-head. You're not going to want to miss it. And what's even better, BC, is we've teamed up with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC, to share an awesome deal with you guys. Now, we're talking, of course, above-board, legal betting, all that stuff. All new customers have to do is sign up with a promo code COMBAT with a K. Yes, COMBAT with a K. Bet $5 on either fighter to win before the fight starts and get an additional $150 in free bets if you so win. So, look, if you're like, I love me some Patty Pimblet, but it's Jared Gordon time. Put a bet down. Five bucks. That's all it takes. You win that? How about $150? Like it's, that's the easiest way to try something new, to take a chance, to try to put a little cheddar on top of your cheese. That's right. And, of course, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So here's what you're going to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use the promo code COMBAT. That's COMBAT with a K if you're listening on the podcast. Bet $5 on any UFC 282 fighter to win and get $150 in free bets if your bet wins. That's promo code COMBAT only at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. There we are. All right, BC, let's talk about, uh, if we can here, UFC 282. You all right? Yeah, sorry. I just, uh, I piped, you know? I got, like went down the wrong pipe. Yeah, it's okay. Now, we did do a UFC 282 pregame preview. It's fantastic. It was great. Uh, maybe I didn't get some pronunciations of some names right, but I tried, okay? It's a good, that was a good faith effort right there. I like that. The thing, here's what I did. I looked it up, like, how to do it, and I had someone who was Czech send me the videos where he pronounces it 
it's more Yizzy than Yeezy. But apparently the R is almost like a ZR. So it's like Yerzy or I, I, I can't do it. I don't you know how every know. time that I talk about pro wrestling, you're like, BC, I can feel the viewers unsubscribing. Yeah, it's this one here. Every time you, you wrestle with those names, people are like, just say it, motherfucker. All right. Yeah, I can't do it very well. Either way, Stop wrestling, he's man. not fighting on this card. Here's who is. Jan Blachowicz taking on Mangabed Ankalaev. BC, let me read you the odds. Yeah. Plus 235 for Jan, minus 280 for Ankalaev. Fair? It is because, you know, you look back at that run Ankalaev's on since that what loss in his UFC debut. To Paul Craig, yeah, which was I mean, he was winning that fight up until the very last. Second, I mean, the basically. run that he's on, you know, he's he's shown you the power. He can he can finish you and hammer you out. But obviously, you know, he's coming from 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 the hammer zone right now. Meaning he could take you down and grind you down. Look, he looks to be like the guy who's next in line. Maybe not kicking your door down on the way there. You know, the same way like Mahachev looked at times or God, like Usman Nurmagomedov just winning the Bellator title. You're like, oh, God, the best is yet to come. Like, this guy's going to flower into something insane. But steady but surely, Magomed Ankalaev has built this win streak. He's absolutely in position right now to take advantage of the of the craziness that's that's going on in the division post John Jones, but also right now with that title becoming vacant and them not giving Glover exactly what he wanted to make it work. Dude, Uncle Liev is the one who benefited from it. The company went to bat for him. They see and feel that potential. So Jan, I believe, is that perfect foil coming back and getting a, a second chance at what was already an unlikely streak. But then, you know, we look back at the way he lost to Glover. He did, it's all Glover, but, you know, Jan crumbled and fell apart just like that, and the fight was over. It's a redemption time. Um, I think you have to favor Ankalaev, though, from what we've seen. He's just been on such a run where, you know, he's, when, you're, when you can control the terms of the fight, Luke, that aggressively for that long, you know, it makes the other guy feel like he's walking to school uphill both ways. Yeah, yeah, like, you're, like everyone's dad, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will tell you with this one, it's a, well, we're going to talk more about this on Friday. We'll do some like an in-depth X's and O's. I will tell you for this one, I don't have a, a great read on how exciting this fight will be because there's one version where oh, there's actually there's a couple right. versions. Because if Jan takes chances to make it a fight, that's actually probably in some ways the worst case. He's going to walk right into Ankalaev's trap. Right. Jan is also good. By the way, we don't talk about this enough about Jan Blahovich, one of the best guys at checking leg kicks in UFC. Uh, he, actually, I think that's what undid uh, Izzy when they fought, to be quite honest also with you. also has incredible poise and patience, meaning he won't make it an action. It'll only become an action fight if he gets caught with something and is visibly hurt, yes. and then it sort of becomes that. Or he makes you know? some kind of tremendous error yeah. along the way. Now, he did speak to our CBS Sports brethren, Shaq Majori, about working with a mental coach. He now has a mental coach that's a big part of his life. Let's play that clip, and let's react to it. Well, it's something that Donald Cerrone talks about a lot. Have you had a chance to sort of process and digest and think about why Jan wasn't feeling like himself yeah, that day? Yeah, yeah, we do it with, with that. That's why I, right, right now I work with a mental coach. Yeah, that's because amazing, man. I, I'm in the place in my life where I need it. So yeah. That's why uh, uh, she helped me very much, you know. Uh, you saw it with Rakim, you know. Yes. Uh, I'm back, you know, she just, you know. We do small changes in my head and everything's back to normal. You know, I was just talking to Anthony Smith. He was very open about his mental health. I just started seeing a psychologist for the first time a few weeks ago. You know, it's it's an it. I would argue the mental game is maybe the most important part of the fight game, and so you know, it's something you everyone I think could benefit yeah, from. Of course. Yeah, you know, sometimes you don't need it. You know, I don't need it for you know uh, 58 <laughs> of my life. Yeah. You know, 
And in the 39, I need it. That's you know, amazing. Something's happened, you know? I, I, n not a single issue with this. I, oh, I, I can't imagine it. anyone in their right mind that would, but I would imagine some folks will try. This is exactly what a guy like this should be doing. Absolutely, and that was a part of, you know, the, I saw the first embedded episode for this week, and that was sort of a, a big part of that. He's traveling with the, with the, I mean, look, I, it's become a, a sort of trendy thing, but it really should be, it's going to become a mandatory thing, right? People just think that you can out-tough your circumstances, and in a lot of cases, you can. Not without any luggage, though. You're going to take your bag. You're going to yeah, take some serious exactly. baggage. Like, this idea that like, you can get through life uh, as nimbly as you can without having you know, mental health or in, in various other ways. This is more competitive mental health, but without having that worked on and examined, like it, it is only a good thing. Uh, it doesn't mean you'll win. Doesn't guarantee anything, but it means you're probably give yourself the best chance. I wonder though, like if if Ankalaev, I, I don't know about this fight. Like, do you see him potentially taking down Blahovich, and then you know, <clears throat> kind of grinding him out? For some yes. reason, I think he could do it. I don't know that he will. You know, I do have this sneaky feeling like it will be a little bit tense and boring. And it's already like, you know, we talked about this on pregame preview. I'm not going to crap on the promotion, which has had an incredible year and just delivers every time. But, you know, the December pay-per-view, especially when it was on New Year's Eve, used to be a major. It used to really mean something. And I, I don't doubt that they didn't try hard to make this John Jones's return or whatever was the original vision. And then you get the bad luck of the rematch of the fight of the year that we all want to see falling apart but like even with patty there this card is incredibly unsexy and yeah the main event is probably more than likely going to play out unsexy as well which means more of a technical striking battle from distance but one that i think uncle will be be able to control and then i think my question is then will Jan try to shoot just to try to change up the the scenario or you know momentum will he end up being at a point where he waits too long to kind of make his move and 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 needs to try that i don't know there's a lot of like this is certainly has it's a great fight on paper it really is i mean hardcore fans you, you know what you're getting it's it's an interesting contrasting fight but I don't love Jan's chances here. Beyond that, we already know Ankalaev is on fire and the favorite. I really don't love his, this fight for him. I think style-wise, this is going to be it. I don't know if I love anyone's fight when they have to go up against Ankalaev, to be honest with you. But I will say this. We haven't really talked about it. We didn't talk much about it at all in the pregame preview, which was, okay, but let's put aside our, our prejudices in, in the sense that what if Blahovich does win and then becomes a two-time light heavyweight champion? What does that do to his legacy, do you think? Oh, it, well, it doubles down and enhances his mental toughness because it's it's incredibly hard to do when you go out there. I mean, he already had an unlikely run like we talked about, and you give him so much credit for kind of getting out of that bubble of being not a journeyman, but a guy that traded big wins and losses against some of the best names and was, was a guy that was trying to reach up and get up in the rankings and couldn't. And then suddenly he makes his move, and then he gets beat devastatingly. And I know it wasn't like a one-punch knockout when he got subbed by by uh, Teixeira, but... Or, um, Glover, Glover to share. Yeah, exactly what his name is. But Luke, at the same time, it was so one sided that that could dude, that could snuff out your future motivations, especially when you're at that age and you're like, all right, I came as far as I can go. Let me take a couple fun, you know, fights on the way out. I, I know I offer that sort of it could go that way a bunch. And you're always like, well, is it you know, does it ever really go that way? Yeah. Sometimes Luke, people's careers or motivations fall apart. If he comes back again and beats a guy that he's not favored to, and you already give him credit for the adjustments he made in the in his one title defense against Adesanya, which I think is a win that will always stand out bright on his career, even with the size difference, that uh, he already did a lot to change whatever reputation or whatever fighter we thought he was. If he does this, it's almost, you know, it's almost a folk legend, Luke. The Polish legend. Are you really smelling that microphone? Scratching my nose. 
Uh, why don't you go spit more water? <clears throat> By the way, they put that up on Twitter already. See, they're always just waiting for me to, to screw up yeah, so they can basically. jump on it. You know? And boy, did you ever. Uh, all right, let's, we, 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 again, we did a big preview on this, so pregame preview. We're going to have another big preview on Friday, so I don't want to belabor the point. However, your co-main event, Patty Pimblett, by the way, BC, this one did surprise me a little bit. Minus 250 against Jared Gordon's plus 210. Now, before we get into the actual analysis of this, we have another clip uh, of Jared Gordon speaking to our own Shaquille Majori. And I gotta say, one of my least favorite points of analysis from really anyone. Not, I mean, I'm not calling out Gordon per se. What I'm saying is, you hear this a lot, and I just really am not a big fan of it. What Oliveira's a quitter? I hear that a lot. Yeah. Right, that one. Let's get to that here from Jared Gordon. He makes a lot of mistakes, and he has a lot of holes, uh, and I just have to capitalize on it. Um, but you know, he's tricky. He definitely, you know, he throws flying stuff. He flying knees, flying arm bars. Um, you know, he swings, when he goes, he swings in bunches, you know, and with four ounce gloves on anything, you know, one of those could put anyone out. So, um, but, you know, I know he uh, has some quitting him, you know, he's quitting other fights and he uh, can't ever, ever, ever unlearn that. That's just something that he's been, that he's born with. I've never quit. I never will. You have to literally kill me quit figuratively and literally so i mean mean, for people who know the jared gordon story i don't think even death can stop jared gordon and he's here today i've died died three times yeah (laughs) bc i gotta say the it's not that there's nothing to that it is true that if there have been really difficult moments and you have allowed yourself to quit whether it's training or fighting or anything else if you could clear the sound in my ear um it is true that you can create really bad habits and never really push yourself. Mm. But the idea that you actually can't train that is just matter-of-factly not true. You 1,000% yeah, yeah. can And it's always that. dependent upon the person. And sometimes a person can look like a quitter but then figure it out, right? I mean, it's just, it's just the, it's the growth of men. It's why we do these documentaries, to be very fair. But I think in this case, Luke, it's like I, I love what you started with. Like, we, you can never overvalue the stuff. I always think a fight starts when they sign the contract. Okay, that's what I always believe. Meaning, all of that's why I take interviews seriously, even though I'm goofing around a lot of them to make fun. You know, try to get a good answer or play the ankles. But I always believe every interview, press conference, like all weigh in the stare downs, all that ceremonial shit that a lot of people are just like, that's that's you know icing on the cake. I want the I want the meat. I don't need no more sauce. You know, I'm saucy, Luke. I don't want to overvalue that because hearing that makes me want to go, oh, shit, Gordon is for real. And I think we do have to take into account his wild backstory of perseverance and overcoming, which can matter up to a large point. But it only matters, in my opinion, if Patty has a part of him that that can be broken. And yeah, okay, we've seen him broken before, which he just said. But has he solved that? Has he learned from that? I have to say, in trying not to get too seduced by one interview ahead of the fight, I watched last night Patty sitting down with Brett Okamoto of ESPN, not because I got a crush on Brett, because he's a fantastic journalist, Luke, okay? And I, I cheer for him. But you also have he a He was crush a brother in this game with me. Um, dude, his interview with Patty was the best I ever heard Patty come across. It mm. was the most ridiculously, absurdly confident, yet still humble enough to basically say, I know you're going to hear the cliche, but this is the best camp of my life. Like, by far, I maxed everything out because I know this fight 
demands me to go to the next level. And he's very aware, you know, obviously of where his brand is and could go. And he's sort of saying the right things, of course, of let me fight Connor next. It'll be the biggest pay-per-view ever. But I did watch that. And I was like, oh, shit. I know, again, it's cliche to say it's the best camp ever. And he even pointed that out. But there was a level of determination to what he was talking about, what he was really fighting for. And it's not the fame and the money. And, and you know, this could be a, a acting, but still just about winning. And it's about winning to him. And something about that spoke like that might be part of that sort of secret weapon he has inside, the intangibles he has that have gotten to this point, even though some steps along the way were like, oh, that guy not that good. You know, that guy not that good. Watch, you'll see. Well, he's been pretty good. Even if Gordon won't quit and even if he is as good as he is, who's actually the better fighter if they both show up, Luke? That's the real question in this fight. And I think that's still Patty, right? This is why I like the escalation for Patty. This is an appropriate escalation for me. I just get the heebie-jeebies when guys are like, well, I've never quit, and they have. And it's like, right, okay, that might be true, but skills win fights. So what happens if you get to a point where you put pressure on him, and now he's much better than you thought, and he actually doesn't quit, and everything you told yourself about who he is no longer holds true? Now where are you? To me, I just really don't like the idea. A, because it's not true that people can't work on their mental toughness. They can. And then secondly, it sets yourself – you set yourself up for disaster – when, like, hey, I really gave it to this dude, and he just is still firing back. What the fuck do I do now? Yeah. Um, on the ground, I mean, here are the losses that Jared Gordon has suffered. Grant Dawson, he got rear naked choked in round three, but Grant Dawson's a very good grappler, okay? Good wrestler as well. Charles Oliveira knocked him out in the round when he was sort of marching into him. And a very early version of him, though. Yeah, that was 2019. Then he had two back-to-back <laughs> losses in 2018 to Diego Ferreira and Joaquin Silva. His wins in the UFC, by contrast, uh, Michel Quinones, Hakran Diaz, Dan Murray, Chris Fishgold, Danny Chavez. This is where it starts getting interesting. Joe Seleski, which was a split, but that's a tough opponent. And then, in his last fight, Leonardo Santos, who was a very good grappler, albeit this fight isn't necessarily the best showcase of it. Still, like, I'm not saying Patty has done enough to completely convince all of us. No, he hasn't, you know, in terms of the opponents or the performances. But he's getting better each time and growing my confidence. But to be honest, Gordon hasn't, I don't want to say he hasn't beaten anyone, but he hasn't beaten anyone that's going to automatically give me the confidence, even with that great take and even with his background and all that, that he's going to march in there and break Patty. Fair enough, but Gordon has fought better <clears throat> fighters than Patty. That's a fact. Oh, yes, he has. Yeah, I guess. Yes, well, I guess on the, on the whole. On the whole, Okay, yes. what about the pressure level? Because the one thing that the Brett Okamoto interview with Patty did talk about at length there, and, and shout out to Shaq MMA, by the way. Follow, if you want more Shaquille Missouri, check out his Shaq MMA uh, YouTube channel for more interviews. But one thing he, Patty did talk about, Luke, is like this stage, like he doesn't feel pressure. And I don't know you can say that. Paulie Malnagy had the greatest quote ever of pressure. I make love to pressure. I'm not, but Patty said it in a way that like, there are there are those few aliens out there, Luke. You know, Conor McGregor was one of them who was very vision heavy ahead of it. You know, speaking it into existence. Obviously, you've got to have the ability and the luck and the magic to go with that. I don't know if Patty has all that at the end of the day, but I don't think he's going to break at this level. Is Gordon ready for this level? This is a pay-per-view Coleman event. Like, you know, we could talk about that. Maybe it shouldn't be. But at the end of the day, Patty's probably selling this pay-per-view, right? Also, you know- what's what's more important to the... To the, if you take the average fan, meaning you take you know the hardcore fan, the casuals, all that, and you and you bring them together and average out their fandom, are they here for Patty or are they here for the light heavyweight championship? Patty, Patty, and not just the British fans, the American fans too. The, this is the part. It's like obviously Patty is going to be very popular at home in the UK. Fair enough, uh, but the reality is American fans have taken to him at this point as well, and. Dude, they're going to be booing Gordon. Like, I don't, 
I, let me serious question. Do you expect to hear in that fight USA chance? I got to tell you, I really don't. No, this is Vegas, not Florida. Now, right? granted, I heard USA chance when <coughs> Trevor Prangley fought Yuki Kondo, even though Trevor Prangley, while a white guy, is from yes. South Africa, and the crowd didn't know that. One of the great moments in MMA fandom that has ever been. So they were just being racist as shit. But in this particular case, not in play because you have two white guys. So not really the, uh, the dominant factor. But nevertheless, I'm just pointing out, like, Patty Pimblett is like, I'm not going to say he's transcendentally popular. That's a little bit extreme. But his popularity definitely crosses boundaries in yeah. terms of geography. So that's sort of my question regarding Gordon's makeup. Not that you know he might not have it. He's overcome so much in life. But there are levels to this. And Patty does seem very comfortable when propped up in those two London cards, which weren't pay-per-views but had quasi-pay-per-view feel to it. And he was up in very important fights. You know, the third up from the top. But it was clear he was the featured fighter. What does that do to Gordon, Luke? Because you can talk yourself into, I'm the spoiler, I'm the villain, I'm coming in here to take what's mine. And then you get out there, dude, and Las Vegas is going to feel like the brightest, biggest stage possible because, Luke, it is. Dude, this is the big leagues. Of it is the big right leagues. It'll be interesting to see. I don't really know the full answer yet. Again, we're going to do it X's and O's on Friday. But um, it is for sure in that sense, in that the very way you're describing it, Patty will have hometown advantage, so to speak. Yeah. Right? Big lights, big crowd, big stage. All eyes are on you. How do you react? Well, Patty, we've seen reacts really well really well he right he rises he to the occasion better, actually, yes. that's why i think right now even though nobody wants to overly call him the next conor mcgregor and give that sort of stamp on his potential his ability to rise in the moment has been what's what's gotten him over the bump remember that first ufc fight we thought he was gonna get knocked out dude he was taking big shots and he sort of found a way to eat them make the adjustment and get it he's got that sort in um you know able to swim in the deep end and figure it out mentality obviously there's a limit on the level of opponent, you can get away with that on. But watching Connor, for example, which is why this comparison makes sense, try to continually dare to extend that limit to one punch on Aldo. Who would have thought, right? That was fun to see him get mm -hmm. there. Yes, this is the right escalation, but no, Luke, I do not believe this is the trap. This is not the trap. Luke, this ain't the trap. All right, BC, in the interest of time, let's move along here. Uh, this is a big change. So initially, Santiago Ponzinibbio was set to face Robbie Lawler. Lawler is out. In his place is now Alex Morano out of Fortis MMA. He bangs. Al he does bang. Alex Morano is on a four-fight win streak. Now, he did lose to Anthony Pettis back in 2020, in January of 2020. But since then, he beat Donald Cerrone, David Zawada, Mickey Gall, and then a good guy out of uh, the D.C. area, Matt Semmelsberger. Uh, it was a bit of a tough fight, but he got it done. Here he takes on Ponzinibbio. So Ponzinibbio has to take on a, an opponent who uh, he did not really prepare for. Morano is, you know, in the broader sense, not highly dissimilar from didn't Robbie Lawler. Didn't he dismember uh, Cerrone Morano? Isn't that his big Yes, name? but, uh, you know, that was a really Oh, it was. It be, everybody was doing it. I get it. But. Uh, but yes, he did. Now, in the case of Ponzinibbio, he did have the win against Miguel Baeza in 2021, but since then lost a split decision to Jeff Neal and lost a split decision to Michelle Pereira. BC, if the, if... If Ponzinibbio had to fight Morano and he had like a 12-week camp, I'd probably be very comfortable picking Ponzinibbio. Absolutely. In this case, it's, it's in a this little case bit it's tricky. A wild card, right? Yeah. Especially if uh, Morano comes out looking at this as like nothing to lose, house money. You know, like Luke when they snapped the football and somebody it was clear that somebody was on the defense was like offside, so it's like a free play, and you're like, dude, throw it fucking deep, throw it straight up in the air, right? This is this might be one of those fights, Morano. Just go after it, dude. Just let that shit fly, and if you connect. 
you 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 make an advancement here. The pressure's on Ponzinibbio, it's not on Morono. All right, very good. I'm just slinging truth at you. Just slinging truth, like, a, arrows. like Indiana Jones's whip. Uh, I'd be lying if I said. I, and by the way, it'll be at a catch weight of 180, I believe, because of the late change. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, Darren Till taking on Drickus Duplessis. Dude, this is serious time for Darren Till. It's serious. By the way, he is the betting, not by much, but he is the betting underdog in this fight. Can you believe it? No, yeah, I can believe it. Yeah, I can because, believe it too, actually. Because since getting that close win over Stephen Thompson to get the title shot, it, it's been what? What is he, one in, one in five? Uh, with, let me double check. With a split decision win? And it's like what's, what's hard in that, it's, you know, it's, by the way, it's, it's ironic that his one win by split decision, even though it should have been unanimous, came against Kelvin Gastelum because they have largely seen themselves fall into the same fate where, like, you just never know you, what you're going to get. So it's like this losing streak has been disastrous when you, for Till when you package it with the injuries he suffered, which is why he's been out for 14 months and he's had issues with the law outside of it. Like, it's just been like a constant sort of you know, hiccup and snare, yet he's fought good at times. Dude, that loss to Robert Whitaker, he really pushed and challenged him and fought at a very high level. He made Robert Whitaker fight his fight to a certain degree, even though he lost. So it's like you've seen flashes of it, but Luke, if he loses this one against the guy who certainly is aggressive with knockout power and has in, is in this fight to win it, which is why the odds are where they're at. But it's not like Duplessis does not have holes. If Darren Till can still find the, the, either the old Darren Till or find a Darren Till 2.0 that still works, he can win this fight to save time and continue a new march. But if he loses, now he's not even 30, so he's not getting cut, Luke. But if Darren Till loses his third in a row, he's already changed weight classes, dude. The overall streak will be like one in six. What the hell happens next? He's already switched teams. Look, this is must freaking win. Yeah, let's remind I want folks. You to so feel so that. he gets to the UFC. He has a draw. Well, actually, he beats uh, uh, Wendell Oliveira or Vendel Oliveira. Then he has a draw with Nicholas Dalby. He beats Jesse Ayari, Bojan Velikovic. Then the big one back in 2017, he beat Donald Cerrone. He had a fight against Stephen Thompson. Let me just be very clear that fight sucked. And Thompson has a claim to that fight as well. It was tactically fun. No, it was terrible. Um, it wasn't the Woodley rematch. It was better. Come on. It was better. Than okay, Woodley. but then he loses to Tyron Woodley. Then he got his lights put out by Jorge Masvidal. He got the split decision win over Kelvin Gastelum in 2019. Then he had the sort of like moral victory-ish kind of territory with Robert Whitaker, but he loses that one via unanimous. And then he got choked out by Derek Brunson. That's the bad one, dude. In That's 2021. This is his only fight in 2022, by the way. So in addition to the losing streak, we don't talk enough about this because of the injuries and everything else. He, was, he has not been active. He was supposed to fight somebody last fall, and he got hurt. He, here are the fights that have fallen through. He was supposed to have a Robert Whitaker fight that fell through, a Jack Hermanson fight that fell through. Now, obviously, he That's fought it. Robert Whitaker after the fact, but Vittori fell through, and then one of the originally scheduled Brunson fights fell through, and they made it happen a little bit later. So, look, as big of a fight as this is for Drikus Duplessis, and it absolutely is for him to continue this momentum, and look, a good-looking guy he comes out and throws bombs. I mean, there's a, there's a future for this guy if he keeps winning. As big as it is, I think it's bigger for Darren Till. And why are not enough people saying that, Luke? Are people, like, I've always... I think people have written them off, to be honest with you. They oh, they just don't for... care anymore. Though. Well, here's the thing. They haven't formally declared that they don't care. But I think that a lot of people are kind of like, eh, we, we've seen the Till experience. We know what we're going to get, which may not be oh. fair. But I, I get the sense that we're up against that. Now, we, I, we have a lot of time to go through here. Is he fighting for, for Liverpool here? Is he fighting to, to, to win? Is he Liverpool-ish? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he's oh, trying yeah, to win time. Liverpool back. Patty took it from him, right? Dude, that Scouse accent is very unique. So, I, you, know. you know what's interesting about the Scouse accent? If there is, if a word ends in the letter K, they yeah. grind it. So, like, like, uh, 
Well, cake has E on the end, but it's the K is the last sound, so it's cake. Cake. Yeah, it sounds like they're doing fencing while they're talking. That's what it sounds like, right? There's always like these weird sort of noises, like somebody hit the symbol, like, Shh, and you're like, yeah. And then they have weird like words, like they call it like food scran. So scran. Molly, Molly Meatballs a scouser too, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mike Owens Media, one one of the best, one of the best. Um, Mike, 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 is that what Borat did? Uh, <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, all right. Bryce Mitchell taking on Ilya Taporia. I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Someone's O must go. Bryce Dude, Mitchell. Dude, you un- should have a lot to say about it. We did on the pregame. We preview. have a limited this amount is, of time. But this is the best fight on the card. Unbeaten versus unbeaten. Hammer time versus a guy who can take the fight to the ground. Gun to your head. Who wins this one? Ilya Taporia, because that that power is for real. And I think mentally, I think mentally he's a hammer. I think he's coming out to Dude, do he is, damage. to me, absolutely far and away next level. I think he's got and Armenian. potential. Next level no, and Georgian. Armenian. He's Georgian. He is different. Is he? He's Georgian, yeah. Who's well, Armenian? he's Spanish-Georgian, but he's Georgian. Yeah, he's German-Spanish-Georgian. But who's the Armenian guy that we were talking about recently? Who the fuck is yelling out there? Probably a fighter. <laughs> this is the whole... Probably t- Pat Downey. This is the Bellator Hotel, Luke. All right. Um, but I love that fight, and let's see if, you know... So hold on. So here is, here is what you have seen from Ilya Taporia. He gets to UFC. He beats Yusuf Zalal. He decisions him. He knocks out Damon Jackson in round one. He knocks out Ryan Hall in round one. A couple of fights fell through with Charles Jordan and Evloev. He viciously, at 155, knocks out Jai Herbert, and here comes Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell, you're asking about his Didn't best Didn't he fight game. Ryan Hall, too? Huh? Didn't he fight Ryan Hall as well? I just said Ryan Hall. Oh, knocked I, him out in the first round. Yeah. That, that was on the Poirier McGregor three card. Absolutely. In that fight, he went and chased him down and, and dealt with the, with the Ryan Hall games and then just... I understand he's a young guy. I think he's like 26 or so, something like that. How old is he? 25. He's yeah. 25. He's already a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Well, dude, look at his first, look at his, before the UFC, like five of his first six fights were submission wins or something like that. Like, he was a sub yeah, a guy. Win, rear naked choke, win, guillotine, win, mounted guillotine, win, anaconda, and on and, and on. And now he's on. winning KO, KO, KO. Right. So you're seeing the, I mean, obviously those are against lesser competition, but, dude, he's he's something. And Bryce Mitchell, I think, has maxed himself out, meaning like he is as good, like he is, he's getting better, but like he's close to his ceiling and he's a very good fighter. But is that ceiling too low against right. a guy like Tapuria? Yeah. Because right. if, if, if the, the shots get stuffed, Luke, this, this could be a violent it's fight. It's not true that Bryce Mitchell is a gimmicky fighter. It's not true at all. He is very skilled. He is very, very complete in many ways as a grappler, but it's got to go his way. That's right. There's a certain limit to what he does as well. We don't know exactly how far he can take it. But this is going to begin to tell us. And I, and I do think he has the intangibles to become a champion, meaning, like, a, you know, I think he'll fight till, till, they, till they finish him. But, and I think he'll take chances when he needs to. I think he's a smart fighter, too. But you're right. He might just hit those limits against a guy who is a freaking well-rounded hashtag holy hammer. Athletic. You know, the whole nine yards. Doesn't have a lot of damage on him. Has a, ag- aggressively cool tats, too. Just sort of like... He is uh, he's out there. Okay, let's talk about this because this is a huge story. I wish we would have led with this one, to be honest with you, but we couldn't. Uh, TJ Dillashaw has retired. So it was initially like, well, he's not retired, then he is retired. Yeah, but that, he, that whole hour sucked. Who, everybody else was, was there was a, I, sources. I, he hasn't retired. Mike Bond, uh, I didn't get it right. And I think it was confusing. And then he initially, he, he owned up to the fact that he didn't get it right. And then there was another guy. I think it was the guy who works for Henry Cejudo. I forget his name. Please forgive me. And oh, then, yeah. He used to work for ESPN. That's yeah. right. And then Ariel got it. And then so here it is. It comes from Tiki Gosen, who's a former UFC fighter, now manager. It is for real. So he's, he is retired, BC. I got to tell you, apparently the story from Ariel is that 
Uh, he went to go get his shoulder looked at, and the doctor was like, well, holy <laughs> shit, your shoulder is completely fucked. One of the worst we've ever seen. Oh, it only came out 20 times in right. a five I want to go back to the decision-making about taking that fight at UFC 280. And I understand the arguments if you're making a list of pros and you're making a list of cons. But in retrospect, that was not great decision-making, right? And I criticized it for a number of different <laughs> levels. Yes. BC, let's re rewind here. He ignores the fact that his arm is falling out of the socket, that he had to get on antibiotics because he had staph infection, which weakens the joint and ligament and soft tissue, um, essentially pliability. Falls out a million times in camp, even worse on fight week in different scenarios, which he detailed with Brett Okamoto. He loses the first round with almost no resistance, comes right back out again after the second or the, between the first and second rounds. So he loses the fight basically with almost no resistance whatsoever. Then uh, goes to the doctor, and the doctor's like, you probably are never going to fight again, or if you do, it'll be a long time from now, and it's going to require extensive surgery and re rehabilitation. It was not smart to fight that well, fight. It, it was a look, bad it call. Of course it was, and it's a bad call in the same sense that we talked about for people that are buying the pay-per-view and you're getting an obvious injured guy. They want to see this title fight that matters, or the people that are betting as well and not right. knowing of the injury. It's all messy and gray, but I think he must have came to a a crossroads during his training camp after maybe the first time he re-aggravated or whatever, where he was just sort of like, oh, shit, where it was, I'm never getting back here. Luke, at his age, he kind of held the division up after beating Sanhagen for, you know, so he could recover, and they gave him that respect and kind of waited on him to a degree and gave him his shot. He's not getting that shot again, and he knows it, mixed with the ultra, ultra uber competitiveness that you have to almost save him from himself. No difference than Francis Ngannou, who we praised. He was no, able to pull it together. Okay, no, no difference in that aspect. I'm saying okay, of okay, what okay. of the fuel that gets him there. I think Francis showed better judgment overall than yes. based on different factors. But uh, no, I don't like that TJ took the fight. But given his uber competitive nature, which is leading, that's you know, it's like that's leading his thought process, right? Right. Well, now the he's bill also, is, but now the bill is due on the other side. The key was Luke. He was never going to get that shot again. So knowing that, right? He's never going to get that shot again. He knew his. He knew when he aggravated it that not only with the time it would take to recover, add in how serious of an injury, he already held the division up for a year and his age. Dude, he's not getting that shot again. So knowing that, if that was part of his decision making, are you less mad at him? Meaning where he looked at it. I'm not mad at him at all. I, I don't have feelings in that way. But Am I critical of the choice? No, it doesn't. Because what ended up happening was okay. I'm never going to get back here again. So what? Yeah. So what? You didn't. You did. Nobody in his position could have done any better. It's not like it's a TJ thing. If your shoulder is that banged up, you're not going to win fights like that, not even close. And now, and now, the bill is due on the other side, which is you have a whole life after fighting. You need to be able to have some function. We talked about it before. The shoulder is the, is the most mobile joint in the body, but as a consequence, it's the least stable. Dude, I'm telling you, as a guy who's had shoulder surgery, I'm not an athlete, I'm not TJ Dillashaw, I'm not any of these guys, but I've had shoulder surgery. It is a motherfucker, man. It is not easy to come back from that at all to get the same kind of uh, motion and stability and everything else that you need. I had a back and forth, a, a, a very, very friendly one, but I had a back and forth with Ayman Zahabi, who's a UFC fighter. He's the brother of Faraz. And, and I was saying, like, dude, like, you may not be able to raise your hand over your head by the time you're 50 with an injury like this. And he, and he didn't seem to agree with that. 
Well, I mean, the doctors are apparently, according to the reports, telling TJ that he's going to have to get this surgery plus subsequent ones, and even those are no guarantee. Now, there is another story element here, which I actually do support TJ Dillashaw if he's doing it, namely the Conor McGregor exception. Folks have suggested, well, he's retiring – and he, by the oh, way, so by the way, juice the hell up to speed right, up the recovery, right. so, yes. not just speed up the recovery, make the recovery better and healthier to be right. fair, right? Make the recovery better, human growth hormone or whatever else he could be taking. Drugs win drug war, Luke. And by the way, USADA has confirmed TJ is no longer in the testing pool. I got to say this. I thought it's very poor judgment to go ahead with the fight at UFC 280. However, if he's getting out of the testing pool to get the shoulder surgery, I'm sure he's got a great orthopedic surgeon. And he's going to do this with the sort of supplemental stuff to get a better recovery process. Fully support that. Okay. Fully support that. <clears throat> That's long-term play-with-your-kids-later-in-life kind of considerations. Go do what you have to do to get the most out of it. How do you feel? I'm not saying that is on the table, yeah. but let's say that it is. How do I you mean, feel just to it? be fair, from what I was saying before, I was largely devil's advocating it. I do agree with you overall that he shouldn't have taken the fight, but I was trying to frame it under that mindset where we know he's a sick competitor and he's so smart. He's really smart, Luke. And he's, and he's, and he's a dog, for better or worse. But all things here, I, I do agree that drugs win drug war. I've, you have, I've become a disciple of yours in this regard. They and, will always win. And knowing, I don't think he's done, Luke, because mentally... And when he can get himself there physically, he still believes he's as good as he ever was when he can get himself there physically. So, no, I think I think he's like Kobe, like he's like that, meant that Mamba mentality. He, that's so like cliche to even say that. But still, like Kobe with like that, dude, no matter what, I'm coming back. He's going to be that guy no matter what. Dominic Cruz has got that, too, in him. You know what I mean? Like, no matter what, yep. I'm going to figure out a way to get back there. I agree with you. There's a larger conversation from the Connorness now with TJ where... Yeah, dude. And by the way, did you enjoy the Connor and Rogan back and forth, or are you not into that? There wasn't a back and forth. But steroid use. I mean, Connor was mentioned on Rogan's podcast, and then he took a shot at him on Twitter. And then deleted it. And then deleted it, yeah. the old Gervonta Davis Oh, special. your interview with Gervonta is really good, by the way. Came out okay. Came out okay. <coughs> but I just want to point out here that, like, uh, another another piece of this whole story, and again, I don't know what TJ's doing. I don't know if he has a p- designs on coming back, if the rehab goes exceptionally well or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what the story is there. But even with Connor, I have noticed a total shift. Everyone's like, now that Connor has basically just forced his way into doing what he's done, everyone's like, yeah, this seems to make a lot of sense. I'm like, fuck all of you people out there who hit me up with emails and fucking angry comments for years after USADA came in and gave their stupid pitch about how everything that they want is the most important. Sure enough, Connor comes out and shows you that like every protocol being a function of what USADA's desires are and how they should map it, it turns out like that that kind of version of things is not what's best for the athletes, long-term or short-term, is not what should be the final say. It actually should be a little bit more input from both directions. All of a sudden, now people seem to be warming up to it. Where the fuck were you guys seven years ago when we were saying shit like this? It was obvious then. It is obvious now. Well, now also leads leads Weagle. Uh, weed's legal and things have changed overall on the drug front where I think that also has changed people's motivations and stuff. Also, Luke, I think at this point, everything Connor has done since the last loss and hurting himself publicly has, you know, except for getting the big movie role has kind of, I think people are starting to like, they do, they've already done the cycle of emotions a few times. And I think a lot of people didn't like him after uh, the way he talked to Poirier, especially after that loss sitting there with Joe next to him. But Luke, I think he's, people feel bad for him now. So now they're sort of like, yeah, part of that motivation is just, yeah, let that guy juice. I miss him. I miss the big, the, the circus coming to town. Luke, we, as journalists, miss the Connor Circus. 
We do. We do. So I, I think that fuels sometimes where people are just sort of like, eh, at this point, he may actually need yeah, that but to it, get And again, I don't know how many guys will be able to do what Connor did, it, both financially or otherwise. But for the ones who can, oh, of course. this is a bit of a game changer. If, if Dillashaw ends up doing something like this and someone subsequent to him and on and on. Did they shoot in Kobe's knees in Germany? I want to know. It was probably like whatever. Themselves for sure. I bet you Tom Brady's drinking it in his coffee. Probably. All right. We have just a few minutes left. We've got to get out of here. Two quick notes, BC, including breaking news from our producer, Mikey Mormile. UFC 286 announced for London on March 8th. Uh, March 18th. Ooh. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then one championship is going to make its U.S. debut. This will be Friday, May 5th, Cinco de Majo, as my wife would say, uh, at the First Bank Center in Broomfield, Colorado, which I've been to for the Joe Lazan versus Kenny Florian fight, as well as I saw and, and worked a glory event there as well. DJ Marais 3, dude. I DJ love Marais that fight. By the way, I want to point it out. I'm going to keep saying it. Elevation. They brought it to Elevation. For the folks who don't get used to that, you're going to – I don't know how many heavyweights they're going to have on this card – Pay attention to the elevation and how it fucks. Not not DJ, he's too good or whatever, but like some of the other like C level Marais. Is that what we're talking about? Say again. C level Marais. C level Marais. We'll see what um, we get. We, we should have Rich Franklin on his show talk about this in a lot. All of right, we got to end on right, this. Let's BC, get the A's on. BC, we got to end on this very quickly. We'll do we'll do fan subs on Friday. Yeah, or whatever. sorry for Jay Pickett and all the other great fans. We got to push the artwork. We'll, we'll up. get to it. We'll get to it this week. Because we have great guests. All right, right. Lastly, we have Bellator 289 and 282 this weekend. So these cards obviously have hammer of the month potential yes. all over it. Uh, BC, this is where you come in and you read the next part. Oh, sorry, Luke. I wasn't. Uh, anyway, hashtag Holy Hammer Aaron Blanchfield, who was last month's winner for Hammer of the Month, will have some competition. So for those of you who have been living under a rock the past few episodes, our favorite show sponsor, Money Lion, the only money app you'll ever need, has a brand new segment. We're collaborating, creating a new segment called the Money Lion Hammer of the Month. So... Look, you watching a fight, boxing, MMA, bare knuckle, whatever you got here, except for the Dana White slapdick league. We don't accept that under this jurisdiction. But Moneyline wants you to, uh, you see somebody on the rise, somebody on the undercards early on the main card, get a big knockout, get a big performance, have their moment where you're like, you know, that person deserves more recognition. Hashtag Holy Hammer. Hashtag Hammer of the Month. At Money Lion on Twitter. At Money Lion Inc. on Instagram. Let your voice be heard. We're going to take these suggestions in. We're all going to vote on it. Aaron Blanchfield is the inaugural, and we want her to accept it in our New Jersey studio. We certainly do. Hopefully we'll make that happen. And again, as you indicated, you can go to at Money Lion on Twitter. Use the hashtag Hammer of the Month or at Money Lion Inc. on Instagram. Same thing. Hashtag Hammer of the Month. For more information, you can go to MoneyLion.com slash Morning combat. Yeah, they, don't, they find out how to money from people that money a lot. Money's a verb now. Yeah, it is. All right, we're going to skip those fan subs, but uh, just to close, we're here in Connecticut, Luke Bellator 289, yep. which goes down Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern main card Mohegan start Sun. on Showtime from the Mohegan Sun. Uh, we're going to have some... Some big-name fighters coming in here for some bonus interviews. People should be on the lookout for them soon. That's right. right? We're going to be spending the next few hours talking to them, so we're going to have a lot of content coming your way. Thank you to Josh Thompson. Big. I So the Josh Thompson thing was great, actually. It was civil. Dude, he came right in and was just like, what's up, dude? How you been? And it was like, okay, we're playing this game, and I loved it. Listen, he's amenable to constructive criticism, I think. Yeah. Right? I, I enjoyed his company. And then you water jizzed with your mouth, and it was There's great. some weird things happened on today's show, but the Wayne and Podcast guys, the Bellator broadcasters, I got love for them, okay? Uh, so you can follow us there, as you see, on social. You can go to Showtime.com if you don't have it already. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. For these sweet jackets. Yeah, do I look like like fat like Homer Simpson, or am I looking good? No, right you're now? looking like Mr. Plow, for sure. You yeah, definitely. got those you vibes. Can go to, yeah. You get the bomber jacket, morningcombat.store. By the way, you don't believe me, you don't believe BC, ask Ralphie on Stotts. He li- Every interview, he's wearing one of these fucking I brought things. a hat for him. 
Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, great. But it doesn't fit me because I got a big, All right. I got a and large And then melon. morningcombat at gmail.com for fan subs and for Dead Wrong, which we will get to a little bit later, of course, this week. Uh, all right. That is it for today's show. So for Malka, for Showtime, for uh, the boys at the Weighing In Podcast, BC, LT, MK, thank you guys so much for watching. Until next oh, time. Oh, one more thing. Until next time. Thursday night of this week, tomorrow night. World MMA Awards from Las Vegas. Unfortunately, yes. we cannot be there this year, yeah. but we're up for best MMA programming. Fingers crossed for the second Not straight Not feeling year. very confident this time. I of course, know. in I fairness, I wasn't feel. feeling confident last time I either. Know. I don't know what to feel this time. I'm excited, though. And Aaron Bronstetter's up for MMA Journalist of the Year. So yeah, thank you for all wins. people who voted. We wish him well. Thank you, fans. So there it is. All right. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. <laughs>